0: podcast, everybody. (laughs) It's a good day. So glad you're here. We are four entrepreneur and investor friends seeking the alfalfa in money and meeting. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, We are Eric Johansson, Armand Asadi, Steven Cesaro. I'm Nick Urbani. Uh, Hello to everyone in the chat. Uh, I wasn't here last week. I missed you so much.
1: Uh, they enjoyed seeing the zin pouch that represented
2: you. I don't understand why. <laughs> why would that be there in my place? I didn't even realize we had the camera set to include Nick's no, that chair. No, it fell with the out of Adrian's pocket. On it. But it was, it oh, was really? a good representation but of But you normally found my little <laughs> acorn stash <laughs> that, that the camera can't see. Normally we turn the camera, but yeah. it was like, it was meaningful that way. Yeah. I liked it.
3: God, last episode was such a party. Yeah. That was fun. It was, it was, Chat super was fun. Chat was on fire. Chat I was, was on the, fire. I was on
0: the plane trying to like, get the Wi Fi to improve. And I was going to chime in. You guys are one minute late. I don't know if you noticed. <laughs> Tonski,
2: Calcium, Adam, what's good? What's up? Hello, hello. Yes. So
0: um, today's going to be a little bit of like an extended alpha, alpha round. A lot of money stuff. We're going to talk about a little credit card hack for renters that Stephen found. We don't know it yet, but we're going to dive into it. Um, I want to chat about longing the Mexican peso, if you guys are uh, that's interested. D-gen. That's That's, D-gen. that's pretty right. DJing. Um, and then Armand's got some data for us on, uh, should you put your startup through an accelerator or all those things, all scams and a bunch more. Um, so support the pod, by the way, become a member, uh, do donation. If any donations over $9, your comment goes on the screen. So if you see the link in the YouTube description, streamlabs.com slash use the PayPal link to check it out and yeah, get your comment on the live stream. Let us know you're here. Um, and then, uh, another way to, you know, support the pod, send a favorite episode, send last week's episode to a friend, family member you think would enjoy it. Um, and then, uh, I think that's it. What are we uh, drinking today, Eric? Yes. Okay. So EJ. you
1: guys, I want to, I want to paint a picture. So I just got back from Valle de Guadalupe in Mexico. You guys have been there. It's like this wine scene, uh, just South of us in San Diego. Uh, we mm. went for Mina's birthday and, um, I just want to like, Armand, you've been to this restaurant, Fauna, down uh-huh. there? Fauna is like a beautiful restaurant. You guys been?
0: Uh, I don't know if I've been to Fauna, but I've been down there. kind of know the feel you're talking about. Okay, so top, top, top tier, man. There's
1: like, there's like really cool venues down there, and it's like, it's like this scene where they also make wine. There's like prolific winemaking. Um, so we get to Fauna. Fauna is like, um, I would describe it as like Michelin-starred quality. I don't know if it has a Michelin star. It got ranked one of the best restaurants in Latin America. Wow! So we go there, and um, it's Mina's birthday, and she made the reservation. So we go there, and I was expecting like this intimate setting between me and her. We get there, and they they place us at the communal table. So we're <laughs> sitting with like these other couples that are like ones from Barcelona, ones from Mexico City, and it ends up being really fun. really, really fun. Like uh, I was expecting the same thing,
2: brother. Yeah. I was like uh, oh my god! But then it ends up becoming so it's way warm better and yeah. better. So yeah, it's weird. So,
1: I'm I'm painting this picture just to describe this wine. So I end up sitting across from a guy who's from New Mexico, just visiting with his wife, and he he tells me that he's a PhD in uh, verticulture. What's the study of winemaking? Horticulture. Whatever.
3: Viticulture. Viticulture. Yeah, yeah.
1: Viticulture. What's horticulture? So he's studying horticulture. I think is just like plants. Damn it. So anyway, he's, he's viticulture <laughs> Ph.D., but specifically in this like uh, region of Valle de Guadalupe. So it's okay. like the Mexican viticulture only that he's like really niched into. And so immediately I'm like, "Give me the alpha! Like, what do we get here?" And he's like, he he gets so excited that I'm asking, and he's like, "Okay, so what you need to know is that like the grape that thrives here is like very drought tolerant. It's like." it's different than you'd find in like France or whatever. He said, this is called the Mission Grape. So there Mm. is one winery that specifically does only Mission Grape and Mm. only uh, natural. So this is like no sulfites, no additives or anything. He's like, you got to check out this, this winery called Beachy. So I didn't actually try it, just bought three bottles and brought it over to you you guys. you didn't even taste. No, I didn't even taste it. Thank you for thinking of us. This is blind tasting. So it was blind for all of us. But now that I've had it, you know, we've been all, well. We've been all over it's the world juicy. drinking wines. Like, I don't think that the Mexican region of Viña Guadalupe really like holds a candle to, you know, France or Italy. No, or,
2: no, that's not to be expected, though.
1: Yeah. So I think as I'm tasting this, as and I wonder what you guys think. But like as we're drinking this, this is like different, right? This is I like it. The yeah, Mission it's a grape. It's
2: weather fucking wine, man. Yeah,
1: yeah. Very drought tolerant. So this guy was dropping the alpha left and right. He, he did ask me to give him a shout out on the pod. Unfortunately, I forgot his name. does begin with a J. I think it's like Josh or Jared <laughs> or something. So either way, J. Oh,
2: he's, oh he's, he was he local? Because
1: I was going to say New Mexico. No, he was uh, from New Mexico. Oh, okay. He, white dude. White yeah. dude with a man
2: bun. Just go John.
1: Yeah, John. Hey, Jan. Jan. <laughs> so uh, appreciate the alpha. Um, what do you yeah. guys think of this so far?
2: I'm enjoying it. I'm a fan. It's, it's really tart.
1: Steven said, I might need to switch to beer. <laughs> um, it's punchy. It's juicy. But it's I like big. that you
0: found, like, a, a local wine that where you were at, and it was, like, unique to that region. We could uh, taste it out.
1: Yeah, I, I was, like, yeah. You guys have been there before. It's like there are wineries all over the place, but I think more, like, the, the real alpha for me is, like, it's about the vibe down there. It's not oh, about the yeah. wine. Yeah. But the vibes
2: are immaculate. The vibe is incredible there definitely not about like world-class wine yeah but this is good there's something that I've been told um, I'm gonna butcher the the reasoning but there's a lot of like salt in all the wine and it has to do with the soil down there um, so there's like a peculiar flavor you get from Valle wine which some people either really like or or don't um, I'm kind of in the middle but mm. this one's great can I just Thank say you, Fauna dude.
1: by the way uh, awesome experience oh, yeah. Armand. you've been there a couple times yeah Amazing, like, service, amazing atmosphere, food, delicious. The cocktails.
2: Mina
1: and I food. were just, like, doing whatever we wanted down there. Like, I didn't look at a price of anything, but I did look at my uh, credit card bill this morning just to see, like, okay, what kind of damage? Can I just tell you?
2: All-out dinner. All-out dinner. $80. 80. <laughs> really? Zero. Wait, each... No. Or what do you mean, 80? For the bill. Wait, how'd you do that? We ordered everything. <laughs> oh my God. We ordered everything. It's $80. Holy shit, man. We were Drinks. drinking nonstop. Did they mischarge me? Yes. Yes. <laughs> I yes. don't know what happened. No, they did. I think I went all out and I was blown away that it was like $200 for two people. You know? I don't know what happened. I don't know to what me. you did for 80.
1: It was like a Monopoly bank error in my favor. Yeah.
2: yeah. Select <laughs> like $200. Like it. <laughs> it sounds like it. But it's an incredible restaurant. Highly recommended if anyone's ever in San Diego to pop down to, to fauna. Yeah. Cool. Thanks for that story, so man. Thanks, man. Yeah, it's a fun little trip.
0: Um, another thank you to our sponsor, ZBiotics. Hey, yo. Um, check out uh, ZBiotics.com slash alfalfa. Get 15% off your order. So as you guys know, this is one of the products that we reached out to to become a, a sponsor of our podcast because we use it so much. It's a pre-alcohol probiotic. Helps break down a toxin that your body creates when you drink alcohol called acetaldehyde. You might see other products out there that talk about um, rehydrating you with like vitamins, uh, electrolytes, but that's not what causes that uh, nasty feeling in the morning after drinking. It's from this toxin. So uh, Z-Biotics has been really good for mm-hmm. us. I think the best alpha we've shared. And uh, man, did it help me on my trip last week. So oh, yeah, I was New in New York for a work conference. And as you guys know, these work conferences are kind of intense, right? You know, super intense. You, you go to the show, you might have some meetings booked throughout. Uh, you go to the show. There's usually a bar in the conference, like where all the you know, booths are. And so you ran, run into people. You have a drink. And then you have a lunch meeting. And then you might have another meeting at cocktails. And then you have a dinner meeting. And you're, you're kind of just drinking throughout. And it's a three- or four-day affair. And so you can imagine on the second morning, the third morning, the fourth morning, it'll catch up to you. And as I'm uh, approaching uh, 38 years old this year... Uh, you know, my mornings aren't as uh, frisky as they used to be. <laughs> so anyway, I, uh, I brought like um, I brought three Z-biotics for each three nights. And then I packed a few extra just as like a safety cushion uh-huh. just in case.
2: Yeah. More... Uh,
0: I lost one on the way somehow. Of course. And uh, yeah, protected me throughout the whole trip and felt amazing. Was able to get through all the meetings, had all the energy you normally have. When yeah, you, you didn't
2: come back looking like death. Yeah. Which so is normal for, death. like, Affiliate Summit type events. Yeah,
0: so. totally, totally. So, I don't know. Uh, I, I want to
3: give a special thank you, too. Because yeah, I had a pickleball tournament in L.A. this weekend. Which you won. And I did win it. Ah, hardware. Thank you. Nice. Thank you. He is the
2: hardware king.
3: But before I won it, I went out in L.A. the night before to the Magic Castle, which was really oh cool. Oh,
1: my God. I've always <laughs> wanted to go to Magic Castle. It's,
3: it. it's super sick. It's just, it's like, old house. In like North Hollywood, and you just you can only go if you're invited by a magician, and you just walk into this old house, and it's nothing but bars and rooms of people doing magic. I heard it's like people four are like floors, wearing, like, of just the magic. guests are like
1: wearing suits. Yeah, and I wore
3: stuff. I wore full tux. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you get real dressed up. Um, we had this like after dinner show. You do dinner, it was a show. Um, have you seen the Netflix series Magic for Humans by any chance? It's just no. like awesome series. The host of it was on, like, he came on stage. We are like, oh, and then he did all this cool shit. Anyway, I was up till, like, two thirty, three 3 in the morning. I had a lot to drink, and then I woke up at 7 a.m. Like the, the fucking next day, Dennis Rodman drove. Drove to this tournament and then Played won it. And, wow, uh, we gotta
0: get a Zbiotics uh, logo on your uh, pickleball paddle. See if we can. Doesn't make... really support oh the, God, the,
3: the
1: idea that pickleball is a sport. If you can just be <laughs> completely <laughs> debaucherous the night before Hold and on. just go win.
2: Rodman of pickleball. <laughs> yeah, fits. yeah, Rodman. Oh. Yeah, Rodman. right. I just point out this. There's a GI. An end par in the chat is saying, talk to my GI doc about Z-Biotics. He's sold. We're both buying.
0: Let's okay, go. Uh, that's
2: interesting. I want to know what the GI doc says.
0: Yeah, and um, you know, let us know if you guys want us to have uh, someone from Zbiotics. We'll we'll see if we can get Zach, the CEO, on at some point. Talk to him about like building a business, mm. about the product, about the science behind the product. I think it'd be really cool to have him on. So if you guys wanna wanna hear about it, you know, he's an entrepreneur, fundraising himself. So I think it'd be cool to chat with him at some point. It'd be splendid. Okay, so yeah, go to zbiotics.com slash alfalfa. Get your fifteen percent off. And yeah. Uh, yeah, thank you Zbiotics mm. for sponsoring us. Okay. Yeah. Let's get into... That's uh, good. So, uh, Eric went to Mexico, and I want to talk about this little discussion. So, um, I think it was two weeks ago after the pod, we went out, and we met up with a buddy of ours. He's building something in the... We'll just call it the real estate arena, and he's got a pretty decent-sized factory in uh, Tijuana. And he's talking to us like, it's hard to hire workers. The the wage we're paying is kind of consistently going up. It's not necessarily like... You know a bargain like you would think it would be to have these workers in here and so as he's mentioned this i i, I leave to the bathroom and i come back and steven's in the convo like in deep and he's like nick how do we make money off this should we long the mexican peso and i'm like what the hell oh, let's get back into this and um we i did some research it looks like there's a pretty strong long-term force because of nearshoring mm-hmm. so you know what, do you,
1: what does that mean near-shoring? It,
0: it means like okay let's say. Like for example, we source our products from China because of supply chain risks, maybe foreign affairs risks in the future. You may want to put your pro- your manufacturing near your country. So the best place for the U.S. is Mexico. And if I found great factories to manufacture the same products, I would
2: most definitely and have it to be to done in edify Mexico. Edify and vouch for you per- personally. You've been saying this for like four or five years. Yeah, I mean, like that exact statement. I
0: think we talked about it on, on your podcast. And when Tipsy I was doing e com too, like for the we four were of us, you know, we were just laughing, like, why is it Mexico a manufacturing powerhouse? Yep, they yeah. have the biggest market in a driving distance within them. They just can't put their pants on straight to, like, get the human capital. And I've talked to factories down there and they are missing that, like just the, the experience of what it takes to scale manufacturing. But it's growing. So Mm -hmm. our friend is an example of he's building factories there. Tesla is building a factory in Mm Monterey. And then I think Samsung, my friend, I was texting my friend, we were talking about long in the Mexican peso. He said Samsung just dumped another 500 million to put some factories there. So there's this long-term trend of anytime you need to build there, you need to sell your dollars or your local currency for pesos to build the factory, to hire your workers. And that Mm. puts... uh, Puts pressure on the USD uh, Mexican peso pair. There's also some other things going on. Like um, I looked it up,
2: and Remi- hasn't it performed incredibly well over the last say three it, years? Jordan, post-COVID? can you pull
3: the can you pull the chart? Do we have up? a chart for this. I have Am a chart. I th- have a chart of the oh, peso, I already. Yeah, char- I, I pulled it up to look. at I believe it or not, I haven't looked at a uh, chart of the Mexican peso before because it's not something I'd I think say about. Since like let's call it uh, mid trading. 2022,
0: it's it's like up only. But if you look even as far as like. Right past that COVID drop that you saw in the stock market, yeah. it's been kind of up only from there. And, and outperformed
2: many currencies.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So there's a few other things at play I'll mention, and then Stephen can get into the chart once we have it up. But the biggest thing is like remittances are a huge thing. So people come to these, from Mexico to the U.S., they work, they send money back home, it gets converted to pesos. The other thing is their monetary policy, their interest rates. They took their interest rates from four percent to eleven percent, and right wow, now wow. our Fed funds rates like five percent and some change. So you see this like big so. There's carry. a
1: demand for pesos. You want to invest there to capture that yield. So potentially.
0: Be- so I was thinking of like, well, how do we potentially play this, right? And one way is you could just simply swap, right? You could open up a bank account in uh, in Mexico, hmm. put your dollars in there, swap them to pesos. There's futures contracts. There's options contracts. I don't know anything about those. I don't know like unintended risks of those. But uh, Mexican government bonds. I think the five year goes for like ten percent yield.
1: God, I want to look at the term structure. So like a
0: a carry trade could be interesting, where you you borrow in U.S. dollars and you buy Mexican government. It's positive. It's positive carry. Yeah, it's real positive.
3: This could be the trade of the century. You look at like
0: five percent cost to borrow. Let's call it. 6% 6% cost, you earn 10%. And if you if your bet is that the Mexican dollar is going to appreciate against the U.S. dollar, then, you know, you're up
1: on the yield spread. And yeah, you're making money on the yield plus the, the currency transaction. Now,
0: here's the risk as far as I understand. Like, they've definitely gone ahead and aggressively rose rates, you know, more aggressive than we have. They may need to pair those rates back at some point. But then, you know, your bonds would go up in value if you held those and they cut interest rates. Right. Um, the other big exposure that they have, that the Mexican peso has, is to our economy. So if we go in recession, you know, the, the peso could, could lose some,
3: some ground. Um, I think Jordan's trying to pull up a chart because I rugged him. I forgot to put it in the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> He's like oh looking my forward. God. It doesn't Let's see exist. if I can
0: find a way to share uh. this. Yeah, um, he's,
3: he's got it up on Yahoo Finance. show this. This isn't the peso. This is the U.S. dollar versus, versus the, the peso. peso. Which is, um, which is
1: cratering. OLS. Yeah. Like, no,
3: I, I pulled this chart up and it, it looked like unbelievable. I, I, I couldn't even believe it. It's, um, it's the type of chart that I love to short. Um, it's got this setup where you see like sort of a sharp run above a high and then the chart like rugs everybody and then dumps like those are beautiful setups you trap like a lot of people who went long and then you hop in on the short side and you you make a lot of money i mean that that's a good looking chart like i would sell the shit out of that chart aka buy the peso it just it does seem so obvious right like why don't we just build everything there and drive it across the border we bu- make everything on yeah on boats and, and uh, well we don't make it bring on the it boats we in another person on the we've boats.
0: talked about in the past peter zion is kind of like long-term generational it's all generational long on mexico just because he said listen the u.s is particularly set up if there's risk for china supply chains if there's any issues with taiwan like mexico is the one Mm -hmm. you know their demographics are good they have cheap labor as of now and if they can get their act together and set up manufacturing hubs then they'll be the biggest benefiters of like a long-term you know uh, generational bull market in, in the U.S. and maybe you know, China declining with some uh, demographic
2: collapse as well. I have a more like, basic question about how a person even just approaches this. Like, it's like you find these opportunities at times, right? But then it's like, how does this fit into your guys's portfolio? Like longing the Mexican peso. I don't, know, like, you take, like, I don't have an allocation for that. <laughs> like, where there's do I fit there's that probably in? an ETF. There are. There sure. are ETFs, there are 3x leveraged ETFs. But so ETFs? then would I just go like, hmm, got this little bucket of ETFs. Maybe I just work it in there.
3: It's weird because it's by nature sort of a speculative trade, right? Like yeah. there's nobody who advises you to keep 1% of your portfolio in the for, Mexican peso right. for like the beta of it. <laughs> it just doesn't exist. Yeah. It, so this is something for people out there who like to play around in the markets. Um yeah. So, it, but it, but you could also say like it's an interesting diversifier away from the but that's the dollar in that a way.
1: Sovereign debt investment sounds real compelling. Like yes. I I would buy, you know, a two year, five year Mexican bond and capture an eleven percent yield and happily. If,
0: and if US goes does go in recession, which is one of the risks, those interest rates are gonna come down, your bond's gonna go up
3: in value. Yeah. You know, the, might go the, the bond 30%. is denominated in pesos, so you get exposure to that and then okay i like and that. so
0: and also like armand like you know we're not advanced traders you know i may not actually put this trade on but like i like the repetition of just talking through these going ideas through yeah, yeah just to see like what are we missing is this a good idea and then who knows just watch it you know play with funny money um but i don't know i found it uh i found it particularly interesting because it started with a story with a friend yeah. and then as we got deeper i was like holy shit
2: so you're not sure if you're going to actually play this
0: no, I mean uh, I'm gonna talk to J.P. Morgan like, how do I buy Mexican? I like bonds? the bond
2: play. Government I think bonds. it's a cool
3: play. I'm gonna look into that more. Um, I hope that works out a little more, uh, a little better than the uh, uh, <laughs> superconductor uh, <laughs> trade from last week, which is hey, down horribly now.
2: It's inevitable. <laughs> we didn't say when. <laughs> we preface the whole show with that.
3: I think we were literally, I think we literally top ticked that stock on the show (laughs) and it's down 50% (laughs)
0: Um,
3: and normally I would buy options, but I was kind of in a rush. So I just bought spot and I like, so my losses were not limited.
2: Really? See, I wasn't ready to buy. I
3: wanted more news. I'm a bit of an ap. I aper. more. I don't know like, if you know this about me.
2: I would have rather waited till I bought a little bit too late, with the certainty that like this whole thing is actually happening. I
3: take exact opposite approach. You always, I think, whenever you have a thesis, you you always bias. Yes, there was. No it. Yes, it was there just, was, there no, was no. a thesis. There was
2: no. No, there was a thesis for the investment, but there was no proof that the technology. Yeah, was a narrative here. Uh, it's not of enough course, but me. if
3: you take that approach, that, like no, no, the whole point is you buy before you have done the due diligence. Because you by have the an time idea, yeah. you buy, by the time
1: you've done the it diligence, the, it's gone. It's like, gone. I agree with Steven. You you ape first,
3: but and it gives you skin in the game too. You own a thing, and you're like, I should be knowledgeable about this. And, thing. and I actually want to give you
1: more credit because when most you, things
2: are not like this. But when
1: you mentioned it,
3: I was looking at the options
1: chain, and within a day the options that i was looking at i didn't buy but the options that i was looking at that after you mentioned it were up 30% that day so yeah, like, if
3: if you day traded it you did well but yeah. you had to get <laughs> you had to get out basically uh next next day at close i guess
2: most trades are not so binary well, i guess maybe they can be cuz if you are playing a narrative of some kind it's either binary that it happens or it right. doesn't in my Maybe mind
1: it wasn't like an investment it was a trade yeah so this was short-term in nature for me i, I guess i don't I,
2: that shows that i don't even begin to look at things that way yeah. i was looking at it as like i'm a i'm a long-term investor in this what would i even begin to look at from your supply chain thesis to my like where will the value be accumulated in, in, I think in corporations a, just a
0: pass. thesis it's a straight pass
2: yeah yeah
3: yeah yeah it looks pretty grim by the way i don't know if you've seen the latest the news news coming but again, out about it's
2: it. it's um this happened in March and it happened again in June. It's gonna happen it's until it happens for decades for real. at this point. It's gonna happen.
3: I know. It's a <sighs> I'm sad. it gave it injected me with so much hope oh, for the world. I know. Like there was a day that where was I was, was I was walking on air because of this. <laughs> I was so wait so can you update happy. us?
1: Where do we stand on the superconductor material? Because I was seeing videos where these um elements were were Standing up straight, like levitating in a way, like
3: yeah, I think it's just a basic like kind of magnetism thing they they were this is like way beyond my pay grade, but p- there are people who thought that what it was doing wasn't actually possible without some superconductivity, and then apparently that is, and there's people saying that like when they were measuring no resistance through it, it was just simply like a measurement error because of x, y z, and like a lot of people have published a lot of stuff in recent days that. Is making it look not very good and the prediction markets are down but like the stocks
2: themselves i think are some of the, best a lot of the prediction the, markets the sort of refutes are rushed though and i have not done a deep dive since we
1: so they created a magnet not a superconductor <laughs> <laughs> it's,
2: like, <laughs> so it's
3: pretty obvious the paper itself was sort of which kind of makes sense like it sounds like the guy basically just yolo published it on his own without consulting the rest of the team and then people all kind of just piled in and rushed to kind of do some stuff. And it was just like a gigantic uh, eight mess. first. But eight eight first, trying to get in line those, for that yeah. uh, Nobel Peace Prize, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. But, like, maybe something that happened in this process leak. will be a thing that actually kind of nudges the boulder downhill and gets it rolling in, in a way that's only apparent when we look back on it five years from yeah, now. Yeah, it creates a little mini bubble
0: and resources and money float into it and hopefully something good But as of
3: up. now, uh, not looking good for the flying cars. Unfortunately. Okay,
0: so uh, flying car trade bad. Yeah. Um, you want to talk coin at all?
2: Uh. Um. Ooh, he's not sure.
3: I oh. do. I don't have the visuals for it. Are oh, you no. rug Jordan on the visuals? I well, I decided I wanted to kind of pile on your well. Just uh, describe peso it. Trade. Most
2: people listen anyway. I mean, a lot of people are watching too, but it's okay. Just it's a hard thing to
3: describe. Well, I, I was trying to give a kind of Doge esque uh, presentation mm-hmm. on how to. How to get into something. It was the
2: Professor Steven? Yeah. Damn, I want that.
3: I feel like it's gonna be just complete nonsense without a visual for somebody to, to represent. Like, we gotta bring Professor next week, Stephen Steven back. Yeah, we well, right. we could we can punch it. Uh, yeah, next it'll week. be down
1: only until next week anyways.
0: So. <laughs> <laughs> well uh maybe sticking on the on the crypto theme. Uh you guys saw that PayPal launched their stablecoin. Uh P Y U S D. By the oh, way. Why didn't they just name it PPUSD? Pion-Yang USD? PPUSD PP, would be so much PP, better. PPUSD would oh, so like no meme value without that. I need the meme value. Yeah. PPUSD. It's not yeah. so much fun to say.
3: That is the biggest um, the waste PP? of this whole thing, for so, sure.
0: you know, I, th- I think people commented uh, first a little freaked out. They're like, oh, my God, PayPal has the ability to, like, delete your account, uh, censor your account, stop it. And then, you know, people realize like, Circle has that with USDC, like all these stablecoin smart contracts kind
2: of have those capabilities. Capabilities, but they haven't been exercised to the degree that PayPal has right. elected to do so. So in I the just past. want to
0: talk about PayPal as a, as a merchant, because I have a long history with PayPal and, and other people who are merchants. Basically, anyone who sells something uh, has experience with PayPal. I do too, man. And Brutal. Uh, I think what you'll find is like a mixed relationship. So we have an e-commerce company. We sell stuff online. And when you put PayPal on your site, it increases conversion rate, right? People trust it; they know that their data is safe. They, it's a few clicks to purchase something, but PayPal has this uh, little thing; it, they call it a risk. You know, the the risk department doesn't like when you do large volumes very quickly, and they'll hold your money. And you could like just search PayPal held my money on Twitter or on Google, and you'll just find like endless stories of you sold stuff people pay through PayPal, it's in PayPal, you go to like export it to your bank account and they won't do it. They hold it for six months, just making sure you're not you know, gonna defraud anyone. And uh, I guess my point is like, they have a history of like uh, being risk adverse. They have a history of like holding stuff. I think it's exciting that they're doing it. I think it will onboard millions of people, maybe tens of millions and hundreds of millions of people. But I wouldn't be surprised if like, one, two, three years down the line, we have a little horror story that we have to talk about in this podcast because, you know, whether it's misinformation or name your thing of the day, happens and maybe they use that power where maybe people with uh, crypto values, crypto native companies would would it would take a take a government action in order to use those use those powers. So are, are you? Oh, Tonski.
1: Tonski was uh, getting upset that he, was get, he got dethroned last week. He, oh. He, was, he wants back in. Oh, I love that. <laughs> I love that. Daddy Tonski.
2: Appreciate you, man. man. On the back is to top message, daddy. Jordan? Yes. Yeah, he said, my wife is watching this episode back home. Miss you. Love me, baby. Oh, me. wonderful. My wife is watching this episode wow. back home. Miss you. Love you baby. We got me, Mrs. Mrs. Tonski oh. in the building. Mrs. Tonski. Yeah, Shout Tonsky. out. I love that. It's amazing. <laughs> Yeah, Thank you, Tonski. Yeah, thank you, guys. Um, Well, okay, so a few questions. One is just generally, like, do you think that this amount of leverage that PayPal has, I know this is not quite the topic, but I'm just curious your take as an e-commerce owner. Like, is it not unjust at times? And is it not, are they not generally, like, notorious for this? It is definitely, like, a negative outlook that most e-commerce owners have toward PayPal—it's one of these love relationships. It's a love-hate relationship, but it's like more hate than love. Yes. Like they're easily replaceable. If there was just another entity that was more business owner-friendly, that had the trust of the public, and the ability to get installed on any website that people would like immediately be like, "That's my payment option." People would like owners would love that, right? Yeah. I mean, there's—I mean, listen,
0: what they're protecting against happens. So fake merchants will start a site. Say I'm going to sell these bottles of wine, collect everyone's money, and not ship anything ever, and just mm-hmm. collect the money. And then what happens is they pull the money out of PayPal in their bank account. Then customers one through a thousand go to PayPal. And I pay want a refund, screwed. and PayPal has to cover it because, you know, that yeah. that person cleared out their bank account. And
2: perhaps that it's just part of the equation that they have to be more risk averse because they're taking on such a large percentage of the the, the total supply of companies. Yeah. That and- that do this type of business, right?
0: Yeah, and so what we did is, you know, initially when we tried PayPal out, we put them on and the volume spiked and they were like, whoa, and they held it for six months. We had to take it off immediately. So I finally got in, in touch with someone on the enterprise level and I was like, hey, like we do large amounts of volumes. We want to work with you guys, but like you can't hold our money. Like we're, you can look under the hood as much as you want. There's nothing bad here. I'll show you all the tracking numbers, whatever. And so we went through like an enterprise level underwriting process. Yeah, I never, they, like, I never got to the enterprise. So does rep. the
1: stablecoin solve that problem, or like what does that do for anybody? N- like, is nah. it just increased demand right. from like crypto natives that can like now buy things using crypto? Like, yeah, nope. that was my next question. What does this do?
2: <laughs> yeah, like what's the what's the actual well, why outcome here? Are you guys here? excited by that? It doesn't do How does it any. Onboard people? Look,
3: it's it's just a, yet another and a sort of like litany of leading indicators mm-hmm. that regulatory clarity is is coming big players are dipping their toes in the water right it doesn't mean anything right now i think the coin only runs like on paypal's closed system anyway yeah i don't understand but but like you know to their defense that this is how they started with like ethereum and stuff like that and they i don't know if they've done it yet but they've you know vocally said that they plan to allow you to cash out from your wallet onto you know on chain and you know talked about why they are going slowly this way. They're the whole company is built very heavily around protecting their users. That's why people like it. And that's why businesses tolerate all the bullshit they have to go through because there's so many users who use it right. and like it. Um, so yeah, it doesn't do anything right now. But mm-hmm. like by the time stuff is actually doing things, it's kind of too late for us to buy. Like we we're like our whole job as a crypto natives who believe in this thing that other people think is stupid is to Get in when we see the little green shoots and leading indicators that things are happening. I
0: mean, like I, my hope is is two things. One, all the PPUSD—I'm going to call it PPUSD from now on—transfers <laughs> yeah. uh, actually burn ETH, right? They become like a big burner of ETH. If you look at like what Ultrasound Money, you know, Tether transfers are on there. USDC is like in the top twenty, um, you know. That 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 could burn ETH, and I don't know, okay. like if we're on the PayPal platform and I'm transferring stablecoin back and forth. I don't think they're going to transfer it on chain. I think they're going to have their own internal ledger. But the other hope is that, um, you know, maybe they are getting into DeFi protocols and there is a way for people to access the open banking system that is crypto, whether it's depositing, earning yields, using it to lend or borrow, maybe using it to provide liquidity. Like all those things could eventually, you know, once you have the stable coin in and they say, hey, you can use this on things, people might poke around yeah. And just like there's a Web3 wallet in your Coinbase app, maybe okay. there'll be something similar in the long run. So it's
2: like similar to what Robinhood might do or more, more like um, cash app. Yeah, the maybe like OpenSea access... will eventually
0: price stuff yeah. in, in their what, stable coin. But, okay. but, but the biggest hope is that it just burns ETH. Yeah. Right? Yeah, we
3: like burning ETH.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah. have you guys seen um, Ryan Sean Adams, is a co-host of the Bankless podcast, uh, obviously a, f- a friend of ours, um, the pod is. And um, he's been using this analogy that I've been really liking, which is that ETH is oil. Like, mm-hmm. in order to use the infrastructure of the crypto economy, you need ETH, which is, which is true. Like, you need gas in order to, uh, you know, fund these transactions on, on your contract. You need it to send things back and forth. It's kind of like the, the base pair of a lot of things, other currencies on there. And if you think about it, like, oil is the better analogy versus... Um, say like currency like ETH isn't going to be a currency but it will be the oil like if you want to build infrastructure in the physical world you want to ship goods you need oil you want to build infrastructure like bridges and roads you need oil and so I'm kind of liking this analogy recently I think the Winklevi twins kind of had like first claim to it but yeah uh,
1: years ago that was like their claim
0: yeah yeah but I'm kind of liking it that's, and so that's hopefully always
3: yeah that's always the analogy yeah. I use for people. I, I agree oil. with you,
1: but I, I also think I, I actually thought about this over the weekend. I guess, but like, if, if you want to like invest based on that, that's like a very long term game. You need like m- more and more settlement on the ETH blockchain, which would ultimately drive the demand for this oil, and that would be like a, that would really take a long time. I think like we're probably projecting the price of ETH goes up higher than it was you know a couple years ago and it's like for that to happen it's not based on the usage it's based on this narrative that like eth is kind of like a a money or something paypal's
0: gonna need eth to to move their stable coins around you know and they're gonna they're gonna need it to to buy it up themselves they need to like hold some oil if they want to move things around build infrastructure themselves and so yeah all things bullish i think
3: yeah, I mean, you you would agree that if the market thinks a particular commodity is going to be highly in demand over the next five years, speculators would come in and front run that demand, right, and Absolutely. buy it up and drive the price up. I think up. I
1: think you're now speaking my language. I, I'm saying the same thing, only that it'll be the speculative demand that drives price to the place that we want to see it, not like. This long-term use case, as you're sort of laying it out, yeah, yeah. it
3: ties into what we were saying you know, a couple of minutes ago, which is that like by the time that adoption is already there and the stuff is actually pushing the demand, well, mm. the market is probably uh, already adjusted that price, yeah, you know, way up to reflect that.
0: Kind um, of maybe stick it on the bankless theme. Did you guys see uh, mm. our, our buddy David Hoffman publish an article uh, saying that this might be uh, crypto's last cycle? And I think what he's implying is like big cycle, like. big up big down or maybe big down and then big up Mm -hmm. and uh you know i think his argument was essentially and he wrote an article on it you guys should check it out his article his argument was that like the regulators and the institutions it may take time it may be painful but they will we will win over time it may take longer than we think but it eventually crypto will kind of move on i think he has a quote like the nation state isn't immovable or, or something like that like Things will seep in and 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 move into a regulatory regime where things can continue to build.
1: He said, "Crypto is an unstoppable force, but the nation state is not an immovable object."
0: Right. That was he pretty also good. Talks about how uh, the big protocols like ETH are kind of reaching their terminal velocity of improvement. They're they're reaching their eventual end state. It's in sight. There's still big improvements to be made. Um, ETFs are coming. They're already here, but like they're coming. And so the way I view it is like. The ultimate boss of people to buy your bags to me is like an ETF in which any retail trader, meme trader, uh, financial advisor, big institutional money manager can, within the accounts that they're used to having their cash, within a few buttons, buy your asset. So does that mean that this last potential bull run is, let's maybe frame it, not the last cycle, but the the last one to maybe make a life-changing amount of money? You know is there we always talk we I'm talk about it. crypto a lot because we see it as a good risk return, but does that go away after this next cycle?
3: I feel like he's more well, focused on the drawdowns, right
2: Let me ask you guys this um, if you analyze the previous cycles, how much smaller has each? subsequent one been from the previous. Good point. There's clearly diminishing returns. Right. Like so, every cycle. Yeah on
0: the way
1: up. I think we did I think we did draw down like 85%. People were like, well we're top. not
3: gonna draw down eighty something percent this time. And then sure we, enough, eighty five percent.
1: Still did that. <laughs>
2: yeah. So far.
3: Yeah. So <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, nice. But uh, then what about kind of the the leg up? Like
3: I mean I I think there's gonna be Hundred x, thousand x gems that happen, just in the same way that you can still do that in the stock market. Occasionally, it's not going to be easy. So I don't think that's going to go away. Um, it's probably right for the majors.
2: Yeah, yeah. But, the, but, but I think most people want to like think about it from a Bitcoin, Ethereum perspective.
3: Well, from the major, I mean, the, it, that's been like that's been the case for Bitcoin since like the cycle before, mm-hmm. right? And then probably already the case for Ethereum. Like I'd
0: I don't know. We went from like low, like what, fours and fives and 5,000 Bitcoin to 69,000. So like, right. I wouldn't call that like a, I mean if you put a material amount of money in it, that's life-changing money. You,
3: It's not that much. It's a 20x not across even. four years, assuming you bottom-ticked it and then top-ticked it, which nobody will ever do. Right. So right. it's really probably like a 4x, maybe, which is good, but like
2: this is a super risky space. You know, you can lose literally all of your money. And what was it in the previous? It went up to like twenty. That was the top. It was like eighteen was fair to say. And where was it at the beginning? It was. It was. Like was it was
3: like, like a, yeah, a couple hundred bucks. I don't know. It was so like three hundred like x or something, probably.
2: A twenty x and then a four x. And well, then, yeah. And then now, we'll see. What will we see? I don't but know. I think I think I think Hoffman's onto something for sure. I think the the idea is is correct that. Like, you're not going to get these, like, monumental life-changing returns in the cycle after this cycle. I think we can all assume that that's correct. But well, we
0: assume there will be going to be cycles, right? I mean, the stock market, yeah, market trades in cycles. Of like, course. Ev- the every economy thing, moves in cycles. Yeah.
1: Everything yeah, moves in it, cycles. Uh, he's used this term in the past. He calls it legit bait, where he says, like, <laughs> he wants everyone to click on it, but he's not lying. Like, I think... He's probably factually correct that each cycle is going to be le- uh, less like it's going to be muted compared to the previous. But like,
2: and and I think we I agree. Think it's,
1: like, it's insane to think that we're not going to go through cycles because like even right. real estate goes through
2: cycles today. Like, yeah, yeah, that's important. I don't think anyone's uh, looking at that word in that in that way. But also less volatile, right? Yeah, like that's also part of the equation.
3: I would I would like bet a volatility. lot of money that ETH has a 75% drawdown. From the next top. Like, is, that, is that considered a cycle? Like, yeah. A lot of people would yeah. be like, that's pretty bad. That's a like, massive cycle. I would, yeah. from, from that yeah. low point to the
0: next high point, maybe not as much as. Maybe not as much as yeah, like, uh, yeah. yeah, I'm
3: focused on the drawdowns in this. I think when people are like cycles, what they mean is like, it absolutely nukes
2: to zero and everybody leaves. But I think the legit bait yeah. is more focused on the, the number going up. Like, not the down cycle. It's the upside. Like, is this my last opportunity if I were to hold to make life-changing money? I think the answer to that might lean more yes than no.
3: Yeah, I mean, when people were talking about the super cycle, right? The idea behind the super cycle wasn't that we were going up. It was that we weren't going back down. It's the super cycle. It's up only, basically. And I got
1: pretty debunked. (laughs) <laughs> I got absolutely. De- and finance, the idea is personally. that it like
0: kind of asymptotes, right? It like pre- approaches. It looks like a, a logarithmic regression curve that's like flattening out. And the assumption is that the, within that, the the volatility, uh, you know, decreases. But yeah, I think I'm with you, both of you, that like I think the the upside diminishes, but the yeah. downside is very real very. Uh, throughout the whole time. So I don't know. Maybe in the next five to seven years, we might say crypto may not be the best risk return asset yeah. out there,
3: yeah, there, there there's totally. also a chance that like 69k was the top for like six or seven years and like yeah <laughs> it's not a the cycles are over <laughs> because like well, that I mean, was cycles the, were
2: over the other way yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I just think what we're so we're so early that one of the things that we don't consider often enough because it's not this tangible actual asset yet is that The real, you know, 100,000 Xers that will exist in the future are things that just simply do not exist yet. Like Bitcoin and Ethereum are the top dogs today, but there's nothing here to say that these will be grandfathered in forever as number one and two or, or that, okay, the big thing is like. ETH's gonna, you know, usurp Bitcoin and become number one. Like that's that's the thing. It's gonna flip it. Okay, fine. That's still not nearly as exciting as the idea that like there's something that doesn't exist yet that will be a superior technology that's a better oil. Like there's oil, and then there's the renewable energy version of it shows up in 10 years. And if we miss that, that's how you miss the life-changing money of the future. You may be missing the last cycle for Bitcoin and Ethereum, potentially, but you will not be missing if. If technology and digital currency is the future, and by digital currency, I mean it in this way that it also can be infrastructure and oil and all the things that we build on in Web3, it would be so silly to believe that this is it. It would just be stupid to believe yeah. that. So I, I look at this as like, we're pioneers early in a space. We're learning the space. We're understanding what these cycles look like. You can better differentiate what a shit coin is from something that might actually have the potential to be... Um, uh, a currency or something that people build on or something that's like actual blockchain technology that's important to a community of people and then you can go yeah this is something i'm willing to to bet on i'm curious what you think about that Stephen.
3: so i kind of think the era of like the thousand x shitcoin is like largely over the
2: shitcoin yes but do you like more and, all, and also
3: the ability to invest in like the infrastructure of the future, like the Ethereum's of the world, is is sort really? of over. It's like
2: landlocked. You really think that like there's no way to come in and develop something that uh, that migrates the developers over and the users over in the future?
3: Well, here's what I'm saying. It's like once you lay all of the groundwork of all the infrastructure and you've already bought all that stuff and it's already gone up like a hundred x. What's the next phase? It's probably building products, right? It's probably building apps. It's building stuff that's like more user focused. We're already in a phase right now where a lot of that investment, even in crypto, is happening at like the VC layer. Yeah. So people already aren't getting access to that stuff. It's already like mimicking the real world. And one of the problems with the stock market for the average Joe is that you're not getting into this stuff like the series A stage, right? You're getting, you're buying it when Coinbase IPOs and everybody dumps their bags on you. Right. So the hope would be that in crypto, we figure out a way to take that element uh, that, that we have in you know, real life TradFi with our um, you know, startup companies. And we mold that with the token model using some sort of regulatory framework that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And then people can still get these 100x, 1000x gains. And that's not, you know, only the domain of VCs, right? I think there's a good chance that happens. And in the future, if you want to get that, that's probably where the bulk of that that will happen. But there is a chance that just... That does kind of get captured by, you know, the traditional forces in a way.
2: I do think that the accumulation over the next five to 10 years is in the app layer. And I think that Ethereum is where, obviously, there's so much building happening. And Solana, too. um, Like I mentioned last week, or whenever that was. But I think... I'm talking about something in the future that is a massive, uh, you know, order of magnitude, better technology than what we have today. Yeah, I mean,
0: there's a definitely, like, um, allegories to what you're talking about. Like, you just think of Friendster, MySpace, exactly. Facebook, TikTok. Like the that, meaning that to make the analogy of, like, dot-com and social media. Yeah, it media. totally happens. It happens. But yeah. I don't view um, Ethereum yeah. as an app, like an end-user app. I think it was, like, TCP IP protocol, where... It builds up so much network effect from the developer side on from the apps, from the institutions, what from the users. Would you say more
2: akin to like cloud infrastructure? It's like oil, right? Okay, so Isn't if it it's like, like AWS, for example, right now, yeah. Microsoft uh, Azure, Azure. Azure. Azure <laughs> is fucking dominating and is going to continue dominating because it's driving all of the data scientists and AI developers to build on Azure instead of AWS. And Google Cloud is doing quite well, finally, as well. You guys can't take it seriously when I say Azure? <laughs> it's well, <literally> not spelled <laughs> Azure. Not <laughs> everyone's in on the joke, dude. Like, you have to like, Don't worry, listen- they'll catch up. They'll catch it's catch up.
3: literally thousands of people listening to this being like, what a fucking moron. I can't believe this guy a <laughs> podcast. They'll
2: catch up. As I, I look my <laughs> spectacles, it's called Azure. It jokes, it <laughs> jokes on them. Yeah. Um, Excuse me. But, yeah. cute, cute, angry comments. Anyway, that's the way I look at it. I, All
1: right. I, I really like that uh, with our collective backgrounds, we have like a, an ability to be open minded about the future whereas like you have to be like truly we obviously respect the shit out of Hoffman and and Ryan but like they are ethereans through and through and they they like only see through that lens so like we have the ability to like pivot to whatever is sort of like I mean I see a high
0: probability that they're right I see like a
2: 70% probability that they're right he is
1: the best asset I've ever analyzed in my life and I I love it today but like to Armand's point, if if something better comes I mean, out, this
2: is what I always do. Right. I'm just looking at it from the most macro perspective that I can. And I, if I'm being objective, I can see that, I can see that uh, this isn't it. This isn't it. So it might not be anyway. It might not be. Yeah, it might not be. All uh, right, Steve, I'm dying to get to you, go ahead, Nick. Well, go. I was going to
0: say uh, uh, per- Emma in the uh,
3: in the chat is uh, making fun of Armand here.
2: She got the accent perfectly. She's yeah. literally yeah,
3: part <laughs> of the Azure. She, she typed that, and in my head, it was like, When the moon hits your eyes. <laughs> <laughs> it's, <laughs> Azure. It's, it's Azure. Exactly. <laughs> I should send them that. Um, yeah.
2: um,
0: let's get this last crypto thing, and then we'll move on. Oh, we uh, got more crypto. So he wants to know: False says, Where's y'all's prediction for bottom tick to top tick of next cycle for Bitcoin? So the, I think Ooh. the bottom tick so far has so been far. about
1: 15K. So far. I'll so put far. it like
0: a 6 to 7X, like a 120 to 100. To
1: next cycle. so Top uh, tick. What, yeah. So what, uh, what does that level out to in absolute terms?
0: From the bottom to the top, call it like a 7-ish X. So like 130-ish K. No, actually, that's more. That's like 8X. Uh, I don't know. A little over 100K. That's kind of where I'm thinking. If, if we go through the normal cycle, yeah, you know, kind of
2: with like slightly diminished returns, you know, I'm like 100K, 20K. Elon
0: guy. turns on uh, Bitcoin transactions for Tesla's yeah. again. We get like some hype news. People FOMO
3: in price determines narrative. See, I don't even know how to answer that question, because I think there's an extremely high chance we do something like run up to like 45K and then nuke 60% here we
0: did that we had a fake out in 2019
3: right yeah and like i i think it's going to get harder to distinguish what a cycle is for bitcoin especially because i think that once institutional money starts coming into bitcoin with the etfs and such like
1: but then once you go up to the top tick like he's like he's describing false is describing uh that it's much easier right like what's your top tick for me probably like one one twenty one you're around the same yeah yeah
3: I want to pull up a chart and do a do a Fib extension on it. Yeah, yeah. You actually could have called the top, like, very accurately using uh, Fibonacci extensions. So you go to the 1.61 1. one, or
1: you go to the, the whatever the next yeah, one is. Yeah. Away, you sir. can sort of, uh,
3: <laughs> I mean, you can sometimes sort of, like, um, map out, like, an accumulation range and you basically project that range up, like, one, two, three, four, five, like, however many times and, um, or, or, like, above the previous, there's a number of ways you can do it, but. Actually, pretty good for calling a bunch of the kind of critical points of What's the last the cycle. What's
1: the next Fib extension after one point six one eight? It goes to uh, two point eight something, or
3: so. Th- this is like slightly technical, but, but I'm doing like projections from ranges, right? Like I'm talking about a breakout from a range. That's that's more of like a like kind of like retracement or whatnot. I'm using like kind of intervals of those ranges. So like on my chart, I have like one, two, two and a half, four. Eight, so it's 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 multiples of like the range the price is sort of consolidating in, or of like a particular leg that's a manipulation.
1: Okay, leg. but that's not top to bottom.
3: Yeah, it's a it's yeah, a yeah, different yeah. thing. I'll I'll show you it sometime. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. we we need a we need a we need a magic line. We need uh, we session. need a we need a chart for it. I'm not gonna.
0: Let's uh, All right. let's dive into the. I want to hear your um, your credit card alpha. Yes, yeah, yeah, like man, I'm dying for we this. We use like I credit cards a lot in our business. The points are very important to me. They're my precious points. I live off them sometimes. I'm That's good, because I
3: think. wanted to hear your credit card alpha, because I, I know that you guys are some good
2: credit card this. I want uh, to dive but. into this uh, rental thing yeah. first, and then yes. let's discuss... I'm, u- I'm, you I'm using is, this mostly uh, as a tool to pick your general brain. like credit card experience, reward yeah. experience.
1: So you're, are you saying that people can pay their rent using a credit card and accrue points so on big, a credit card? The big
2: blocker to this has always been that you if you have like a, a, a lease of some kind and you go into your rentals port, rental portal, uh, there's a fee. You can't pay with a credit card because there's like a three, 4% monster fee. Yeah. And that would, that would um,
1: evaporate any gains you get on the credit card. By multiple. Right, because yeah.
2: like your typical gains on a credit card are like 1% point value and you're paying like 3%. So it's just it's just stupid. But what did you discover? Yeah, so there's this card. Um,
3: I think it's from Wells Fargo. It's called the Built Card. I'm actually curious if anybody else has heard of it. B I L T. B I L T. Okay. And the card's main shtick is that it lets you pay rent on it, up to I think a hundred thousand dollars a year. And basically, you get a, point. you get a point for
0: every dollar. There's a lot
3: of rent. And yeah, you get a you get a point for every dollar. It's a lot of money that you weren't getting any points, getting any points on. So on. if you're a if you're a credit card nerd, um, like I I definitely used to be, especially when I did the the, the internet marketing stuff and was really racking those charges up um yeah that was like a huge thing that was like this huge, huge expense that i could never capture any value from um card has like other interesting stuff about it it's got like eight hundred dollar uh accident protection on your iphone which is really it's, cool it's a
0: normal credit and there's card. no annual fees yeah yeah so it doesn't cancel out any it's points. a normal
2: credit card but it has this huge additional upside of like
0: how does this work logistically though so let's say i need to send a check or like i need to pay via portal how do you get around the credit card processing fee so
3: if you pay with it in a portal where it takes like a credit card i think they just waive the fee they just cover the fee they just cover cover the fee for you yeah they cover the fee and if you don't have that they will like mail a check for you Oh. So
2: if people, I, I did a deep dive on this today. I don't know a uh, good question if it works for a mortgage. That's actually a great question. It doesn't
3: work for a mortgage. You yeah. can pay HOAs with it. If though. you
2: want to look at their FAQ, I signed up today, by the way. <laughs> so I signed up today and I put a link for everyone um, from Alfalfa in the um, alfalfapod.com if you want to check out the bill card. And there's an FAQ that I was going through today. I didn't see the mortgage one, but like it pays back the fee. And then most importantly, like the points, what do you do with the points? This was like my biggest concern because there are shitty cards out there that you can sign up for that will tell you you get a 50,000 point bonus. But what is it? You're locked into like IHG hotels right? and there's only like three hotels and it's always blacked out and you can't use the points. But this card reminds me of the Chase Sapphire where in which you can transfer the power of points is when you have a card that will allow you to transfer to partners because you're going to get the highest utility when you transfer to their partners versus when you use their internal infrastructure and rewards portal to book stuff. So like even for example, if you have a Chase Sapphire or if you have, which is like Chase Ultimate Rewards points or say you have American Express, like the Platinum card. I think I think you have that too, mm-hmm. right, Nick? We use that a lot. But one of the problems is Using the points through American Express, you don't really get bang for the buck, nah. and they don't even have their own platform with Bill. I mean, I think they do, but if you transfer to United Airlines, to to Singapore, to uh, Hilton, to Hyatt, that's where you can get the maximum. You can point get like usage. a penny and a half,
0: sometimes up to two pennies.
2: Right, you get a little more juice. Even more, but it's not even yeah. the juice you get that you like get. Like two, three, in two, addition, three cents. it's more that now I've been able to transfer the exact appropriate amount I need. To book that hotel stay in Sicily, and I can go onto like say, um, Hyatt, their reward system, see exactly how many I need, and then go, okay, let me transfer my my built points over to be able to do that, With, which is what I've been doing for years. Like, most of my travel has been covered, especially when I was able to expense. Ads like Nick, like, oh my God. Like, if you can expense Facebook ads, Instagram ads, Pinterest ads, Snapchats, all that stuff, like, that's where the money is. Yeah, I think there's
0: like, I mean, you know, we spend, you know, seven figures a month on ad spend every month. So, you know, those points can, can rack up pretty, pretty quick. And so, you know, uh, you can either do a few options. You can go Capital One, 2% cash back. That's a great option. Which, by the way, way, is more like 3% because they don't uh, issue, to the IRS, that payout—they don't say, "Hey, we paid this mm-hmm. person out." You sh- it's not taxable income, yes. essentially. Really? So instead of being two percent, it's more like bro,
2: that's three percent. I've looked at that card. That's, Spark that's
0: cash my card. That's what I've used that card. And you can forever. run it up unlimited. It's so good. Unlimited. so I,
3: like,
2: I wish I could use that. So I like as these like cash back card. ones,
1: but uh, Tunskey brings up a point. He says, "What if you just uh, charge yourself rent? If you're a homeowner, charge yourself rent and uh, rack up." Points that way. Is, Ga- is, cha- is Tensky oh.
3: advocating for uh, financial fraud in our chat here? <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, but, I mean, let's just leave that one off the record. Well, and, no, uh, I mean, in,
3: so it's okay, we'll edit that out in post. Tensky, we
0: have a payment processing business, and if you want to charge it either through PayPal, there is still a fee. And anytime you charge, a, uh, you know, a credit card or a debit card, there's something called interchange fees exists for every single charge, regardless of who you are, what institution, what kind of volume you do. And that's usually in like one and a half to two percent range. So sometimes when you charge yourself, I mean, you could say it's between friends and family and try to get by the, by the fee with PayPal, potentially. Um, but yeah, oftentimes those kind of schemes like cancel the the reward out. Yeah. But um, yeah, I was gonna say is like the cash back is a good option, but if you want to fly business class, which is sometimes like just like stupid expensive.
2: You know, uh, in dollars,
1: it's so expensive. Yeah, but in dude. Dollars. If you
2: do it with points, like you guys have heard of the um, Emirates experience with the bar, like going to Dubai or going. Yeah, you yeah. yeah. I did horrible. that one time. It was it so awesome. It's
0: insane. We're doing a Qatar to to Bhutan. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's that we're
2: what gonna, you're doing. Yeah. Oh my god. It's like so worth
3: like, the whole vac- like I could have just flown on that flight and <laughs> like then flown that is home. No, like, no, that was
2: awesome. So for people that don't know, they just look up like um, Emirates. You know, first class bar, and it's like people get fucking shit faced. It was a party up there, yeah, yeah. It was dude. awesome. Like they're they're just partying, and you can take a shower. There's a shower. Oh yeah, like, I did it
1: on Virgin. I got a haircut. I got a massage. Like, all <laughs> kinds of yeah.
2: But yeah, What yeah. I'm trying to say is, this is only possible if you transfer the points directly to the airline or the group that is responsible for that airline. If you try to do this through Amex points or chase points, it, 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 it doesn't work. So th- like it would, it would require five times as many points.
0: The other route is there are uh, services where you tell them this, is how many Amex points I have, this, is how many chase rewards points I have, this is how many bill points I have, and they'll book your, your international travel. And I've, I use uh, the same guy every single time, charge me 250 bucks to do it. And for a flight when i go price it out in amex or i go price it out doing my basic search maybe i spend 30 minutes doing it for a f- full you know f- round trip business class it might be 600,000 points right? right which is like 6000 US dollars he might find it for like 250,000 points right
3: so wait stop pe- wait, back up you have a guy that you There's a guy. There's a guy. It's there's a, a guy you pay a fee to it's, and he figures out how to your points It's the ultimate Naval
2: points. kind of move You shouldn't spend your time. Damn, that is a rich guy move right there. I love it. You should delegate. It's a concierge. It's a concierge for your points. And this guy
0: has like travel agent access. He's traveling himself. We did it when we
2: went to um, Kilimanjaro. Kilimanjaro. He found us the best routes to Africa. He saved us tens of thousands of points.
3: This sounds like something that could be done by uh, ChatGPT. Well, it will be. Well, I
0: I think there there are automated services. There is one that, that I found recently, but I did it through a test, and it wasn't as good. So, you know, th- there are, like, services you can pay 99 bucks one time to or pay, like, a cheap monthly or yearly fee. And it'll, it'll go through all those hacks for you. I don't know how he finds them. I, I honestly don't even care. All I know yeah. is that, like, you know, out of five times I use them, four of the times, it's, like, a significant point savings. You can get more for your, for your buck.
2: I'm curious. Okay, so who here is, like, most hardcore? Oh, I'm the worst. I'm the least. Okay, so you're out. Are you in? He- I want to have a serious discussion about this. Like who's got the best, Who's got the point, best points? Like point points alpha. Like how you? Like I want to give the one on one hundred one to people on like how to do this. I think I'm up there. I mean, the f- first Are of all, you? you just only do. I it actually on don't know like how much no, no, people. No. I'm talking about credit card hacking. I want to give like a one hundred one on credit card hacking. Spiel it. Well, Talk I don't know me. who's got the best alpha.
3: I think the main alpha is don't use your points to buy stuff on Amazon and you okay. get points on fl- but like, how the like the best value to accumulate the most points. Okay, that's just like you're 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 bonus hopping amongst cards and like you, you probably want to just uh there I, I there are people on YouTube who have massive followings and yeah. the, all they talk about that's is it. like this credit card hacking. Yeah, I follow all of them. And I it's like to. it's kind of insane like how much value they're able to get right, I'll, honestly. I'll let me give my wild. quick like I hear my your... version
2: of it, okay? So I currently probably have like 22 credit cards. What? what? You
1: what? have 22 credit cards? I'm pretty sure. <laughs>
0: You're talking Wait, about I across,
1: I was shock you guys. across <laughs> so the businesses? 22? Like, no,
3: was
1: so I haven't had that much not. in
2: aggregate in my <laughs> lifetime. <laughs> bro I have million like million like the open credit is like a lot. Okay, I used I used
3: to have like 10,000, but that was like that was like business stuff. You're going to have to explain 10, that one 000 day. Ten thousand what? Like, we had, we, that's an exaggeration, but we used oh. to have one on like virtual a, every, cards. Like, yeah. No, 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 Sound I'm talking about account.
2: cards in my name.
3: Yeah, like, that's crazy. Like, on my I, personal accounts is, is is nuts. Yeah.
2: So, <laughs> why? It started because it's amazing. Because, first of all, non financial <laughs> so advice. Give so a George Costanza a wallet. I'm just imagining that sign in
0: <laughs> that no, episode sign no, I literally a have, huge, thick you wallet. You know when you
2: buy like a tie and it comes in this box? <laughs> I have one of those boxes, like a little with just stack of credit cards. Old school They're Rolodex. Rolodex. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so the first key to this, first of all, <laughs> the first key to this is like <laughs> I can't believe I was shocked. I used to have are. like a
3: binder, <laughs> like where you had you remember you used to put the photos
2: in, like the old school yeah. photos.
3: I had yeah. one of those for cards and yeah. I have like a bunch I'm of I'm picturing them. like
2: baseball binders, card binder. Like. Oh, yeah. Just like side note <laughs> binders give me PTSD. I was in this group once when somebody would show up to these meetings somebody and he had like an old school you. school binder with like paper in it. And, like, I, I would get PTSD looking at him from, like, school. Like a trapper um, keeper? You, just, yeah, like any, any binder. <laughs> it gives me PTSD. So I loved school, for the record. Um, <laughs> no, so <laughs> first, no, but serious, serious warning. You don't want to get into a situation where you don't know what you're doing and you're opening credit cards and getting into debt. So rule number one of credit card hacking is never have debt. Never carry debt. Never, ever, 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 ever. Rule number two is utilize the uh, sort of like resources that are out there that overview on an almost monthly basis like NerdWallet or PointsGuy, what are the current best cards that exist? And they'll rank them for you and they'll do all the work. So what you'll do is you'll look and you'll see. Now, if you have a business, you're in great shape. If you have any kind of a business, and if you don't have a business and you listen to this podcast, you should. You should have a personal entity. For your investments, for your consulting, air quotes, for whatever it is you wanna do. No, seriously, like you can consult a friend and run some expenses through that and make some money as well, like real legitimate money, but like it doesn't have to be this full time business. But what that allows you to do is also open additional business credit cards that come with their own unique set of bonus points. And when you go on these websites, you see the breakdowns, right? 50,000 points, 75,000 points, 800, you know, 80,000 points. All you do is you do it one at a time. You go, okay, I'm going to pick one that's the best currently that I don't already have open it, spend the minimum required to achieve the point bonus. Always have like one default card that you use for your general, you know, just like everyday purchases. But once you've opened that card, spend only on that card quickly, get the bonus, And then move your expenses off of it to the next card. Leave it open, get the bonus, move it off. Now what's going to happen is some of these cards have annual fees. And you have to pay those annual fees in order to receive these huge bonuses. Which in my opinion is worth it. Because you're getting trips around the world for free for like $250 annual fee. Fuck it. Whatever. So what you do is when that annual fee time comes up, you always call. And you do one of two things. You say, I'd like you to waive my annual fee for a year. And I'd be willing to stay on the card. Usually they do this, or you say, if they say no to that, then the next step in the equation is, I'd like you to downgrade me to a no fee card. Almost always they will have huh. a card in their portfolio. Like there's a Sapphire that's a reserve. There's a Sapphire that's a regular. And then there's like, sure, we can down you, downgrade you to the Chase Unlimited or to the Chase, whatever the fuck it's called. And they'll downgrade you to that. And that's a zero annual still fee keep your card bonus and points. you keep it. Oh, you, yeah, those are gone. You got them, that's done. What you're trying to do though is not close the credit card because that's detrimental to your credit score. You wanna try to keep these open if you can because then you have a higher credit utilization, you have a a lower percentage of utilization ratio, which is better for your credit score. So you just keep doing this and then you move on to the next best thing. You get the bonus, you accumulate, and then you always transfer to the partner that is gonna give you the best juice for those points. And there's a lot, lot more that I'm happy to talk through with people in the uh, in the Discord. But the thing that most people get wrong is that they, they only do it, like, once in a while. They're, like, scared to do it. It's like, no, no, no. You should always be looking to see what's the next best thing. Never carry debt, so you'll always qualify. Have an 800, 750 credit score. You'll always qualify for the cards you want. Like, you know, I just got the bill card today. It's no big deal. <laughs> so it's like, don't carry the debt. And then secondly, like, Keep moving, like keep exploring. What's new and what's next? And you do it at a point where, like, maybe you have too many, and you need to close some down, and that's okay. But like, you want to keep the cards open for as long as possible. So if you need to close a card, go to the oldest card, maybe, you know, and close that down instead of the new card. Wait, why keep them open once you've done the bonus? Uh, so I just said a few reasons. One is you want the history. You want to show that it's that it's there, and you you're making. Like, like it's open so and you it's keep, available. You, but you, so you, you keep on. To, um, to, to not keep knock the open. credit score and is my understanding. Right. So, so what's happening is your credit score is primarily based on one thing. Most people think it's like on-time payments. Definitely is that. It's definitely inquiries. But the biggest thing is utilization rate. How much available credit do you have and how much of it do you, you use? And the lower that percentage is, the better your credit score. And it's a very important factor. Oh, so the so more you, open, uh, available credit, like, you know, when you open a card and it says, well, your credit limit is $20,000. You want that $20,000 to stay. So I have a lot of credit limit. Open, available. Learning now, so much you're considered a riskier person. Because if you become a fucking degen overnight, like, you could be like, oh, my God, I'm going to Vegas and start spending money. $10 million, you 10 yeah. $10 you know? So, you know, again, be careful. Maybe, like... Yeah, just be careful, please, with this. But um, follow the pros. I'm not a pro. Follow Points Guy. Follow Nerd Wallet. You'll well, have a, I have an
1: autistic friend. Uh, in in like a good way, of autistic. He's like so goddamn concerned <laughs> about all this shit. He literally like opens them, spends his credit limit on gift cards, does something with the gift cards to like squeeze out alpha here and there. Like he's like all about it. I think Tunskey brought up that same. Uh, that same idea, but I I don't know how people game-fy this shit, but dude,
2: as false is saying in the chat, it's fucking free money, free money, man, or free experience. Like yeah, it you is know, in free terms experience. of like upgrading doesn't your think twenty two is that many cards. I want to know. Uh, how many apparently, has. I'm Tonsky, How many cards you got, bro? Twenty <laughs> three. MJ. Um. Yeah. Exactly, as Adam said, you want to keep the oldest accounts open, average length of the card, and uh, yeah. So. What, you know
3: you could do that's really funny on the built? This is something I would have t- totally done when I was younger. Uh, I think on the built card on the first of every month, they have like a double points thing. Mm-hmm. And they give you 3x on like on dining. So oh right, on that day, it's, it's 6x, right? So if you're talking about transferring points to airlines, like that could be the equivalent of like 18% is that the day that you take us all to Cowboy That's Star? the day I take you all to Cowboy Stars. Yes! Put it all on so my card. Tell you to Venmo me. I'm just
2: waiting. <laughs> <laughs> I write it off
3: as a business expense. I no, collect all
2: 120. <laughs> and I profit return. I profit from dinner. And then you Venmo <laughs> request us. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah right after. That. Yeah. We've that's that's, that's 20 dollars. that's 24-year-old me. I that's a friend me a long now. time ago that would always be the one putting the card down and Venmo and the Venmo's always had a little extra juice on them. Yeah, everybody has that. Everybody has that guy. Oh, Everyone has that guy. Everybody has that All guy. Right. I think we'll close out unless anyone has anything to add. But I did want to say I put the link to the card at alfalfapod.com for people that are curious for the built card. Um, Armand, before we kind
0: of wrap up the money section, we'd love to mm-hmm. hear more about the accelerators. I want to make sure we touch on that. Oh, I, have, I have some
3: more stuff, I too. To cool. we, can, we can fit it in. Yeah,
0: But I do want to fit in the accelerator stuff if we can.
2: Mm-hmm. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. You want to do it now? All right. Let's do it now. Let's do it now. Do it now. Yeah, so... I've mentioned on the pod that, like, the startup journey. So first of all, the startup journey, you know, I'll never get tired of saying it, and I hope you guys don't get tired of it out there. It's chewing glass and staring into the abyss. Oh, fuck. You and I were in it today, brother. Fuck. Yeah, it's intense. <laughs> it's intense. And um, oh. so I have been in the process, as I've shared on the pod, and maybe you're new here, but I run a startup called Steno AI. And uh, this is a, a company that I am... Uh, going down the path of like venture-backed and fundraising for. And um, some of you are investors in it, thank you. And you know, it's, uh, it's quite a journey. <laughs> and as you go down this path of talking to these funds over this last year in this market, um, it's been very interesting. It's been incredibly, so what I did early on in the year, I'll just like quickly TLDR it, is I went out to all these funds and I did intro calls. And I quickly tried to find out what it is they're looking for. Are they actually writing checks? And how do I position Steno in a way that is worthy of them leading my seed round? And what I quickly found is that it's a difficult market. Um, Some of them are not very good at giving feedback. And that the best route right now appears to be going to an accelerator first to get some leverage. There's many reasons to go to an accelerator, but one is that you're in an immersed environment for like 12, 13 weeks, doing nothing but working on your fucking startup, you get investment, and you get an incredible network, among many other things. Now, Nick and I were talking recently, and you know, when, when you think of accelerators, there's so many of them out there. But the biggest ones are Y Combinator and Techstars. And 500 Global, I would also put in like that biggest of all. And um, there's some FUD going around at times on Twitter and in conversations with people, it's like, these accelerators, all they do is they just, you know, they take they take a huge chunk of your company and they give you a small amount of money, and uh, that's it. Give you office space and yeah, maybe some you connections. Know, it's like some connections events. and take like six, how much, seven, how eight much percent of your take? company. Well, oh, it depends. Well, there you go. It depends on on the accelerator. And they're all different, they structure their deal a little bit differently, but there's this FUD. Uh, and for those that don't know, that aren't in the crypto space, fear, uncertainty, and doubt. It's really just like casting doubt on this being a good path for you as a startup. But as I've said on the show previously, I think that if you have an idea right now and you believe this idea is worthy of um, investors and you want to go the path of investors in general, an accelerator, I believe, is a phenomenal path. But I've been saying this based on you know gut feeling right. and like what people tell me. So ironically, I was on Twitter X the other day. I I still can't say it. It's like, I was it's, on X. It's, it's awful, but it doesn't make sense. Don't get me started right okay. now. Okay, I, I would like a grind grind my gears segment of you, you know, maybe potentially just shitting so on X. Somebody
3: posted a screenshot on on X of like from their wife or something. It was like a text message like, "What the hell is this X premium charge?" <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh my God! Yeah, I want a little Stephen grinds my gears on this. So um yeah what was (laughs) you were talking about accelerators and you saw something on Twitter oh yeah so ironically synchronistically as Nick and I were talking about like what is this FUD going around about accelerators someone posts this thing from pitchbook.com pitchbook is a a very well-known website that uh, exhibits like um every fund and their investments, and every investor, like, and everything. Like every private equity great. deal, transaction. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's great. It's phenomenal. And they did a meta-analysis in this year of 2023. So let me pull up some of this data, because I think it's very interesting. Because I've been going based off, like, I don't know. Is this a good idea? I think it's a good idea. Um, I've heard it's a good idea. But here's what I found. So if you want to look this up, this is um, PitchBook. Qualifying the success of YC and the largest accelerators. So, this was done from 2010 to 2022. This analysis, looking at the cohorts that go through all accelerators by year, looking at their exits, their valuations, how many unicorns they created, the capital raised, and geography. Now, YC and Techstars lead all their peers in exits. So, like for example, YC has had IPOs like Airbnb, Coinbase, Dropbox. You sent it to me. It was like almost like a four or five percent hit rate in terms of like unicorn status, which is yep. pretty That's epic. Insane, yeah. Yep. And like Techstars has had incredible <clears throat> IPOs as well, like uh ClassPass, like um, these Syngrig. are these are like who's who of uh all these are startups. Unicorn billion dollar companies. Overall, Techstars and Y Combinator accumulate the most value and the most success. So one of the interesting findings right away is that if you're not in one of these two, it does appear that the returns diminish amongst the others. Hmm. So I think that's important to know because there are some others like 500 Global, like um, what's this other one called? Massive uh, Mass Challenge that are still successful but not to that degree. And so you'd have to do a bit of a more fine-tuned analysis to decide for yourself if, if it's worth it. In general, I think what you're getting out of all of these is the 13-week immersion and the, and the network, right? But let's look at the data. So on average, 50 to 70% raise around within three years of completing the accelerator program, which is huge compared to doing it by yourself. Techstars is seventy four point five percent raised the round, and Y Combinator is seventy point four percent so three quarters of the of
0: the companies that go out there raise the uh, following round afterwards correct,
2: which is your big goal after going through the accelerator because if you don't raise then yeah you got get you got you, you got to bootstrap anyway again all over again, and they're not giving you a huge sum of money cumulative capital raised um, per cohort. Y Combinator, or total, Y Combinator, 80 billion, Techstars, 23 billion. Exit probability by the fifth year after you've gone through the accelerator, um, Techstars, 18.5, Y Combinator, 18.4. So, it's talking about one
0: out of five exits yes. within five years within of five
2: th- years. And within eight years, Techstars, 31.1%, Y Combinator, 27.3%. So, you go through this accelerator, it's not like it's just magic. You go through and you exit, but Probabilistically speaking, the data says a third within eight years. And you should assume if you're on a startup journey that you're in this for seven to ten years. That's easily
3: scary that you could do eight years and have like a seventy percent
2: chance of not see that's so far. I look at it completely opposite. I'm like, I know that most businesses fail, and I know that most venture backed businesses fail. I know that a VC is hoping that one out of fifty hit, one out of a hundred hit. So the fact that a third within eight years hit,
3: isn't that huge? I agree, that's huge. And I don't mind failing. I just like to fail extremely quickly when I fail. <laughs> like so eight years. The is thought a long of time. like yeah. giving eight years of my life to something and then having
0: I mean, but let's say you're you not know, even venture back. Like you start your own company, I mean, that's kind of like the Same path shit. that you choose. Like I've had companies that are successful from the beginning and we didn't get a chance to pay ourselves to the start of year three because if it's going well even if you're we were self-funded we didn't take any investment you're constantly putting the money back in the business because it's going well it's like can we please pay ourselves enough for a rent and check you're like,
2: extreme because you know steven not exiting doesn't mean failing you're that's still paying true. yourself that's true and if you run like your own entity you're you're taking distributions if you're running a c corp if you're trying to have this kind of startup You only get a founder salary. But, you know, like most people that like fail in America, like this is one of the beautiful things about countries that are um, sort of friendly to startup culture is that a failed startup, you go eight years, like the lessons you like, you know what a really good example is? His name is Sahil, and he founded a company called Gumroad. If you, if anyone out there is oh, like I know, struggling I, I know with their company. startup, yeah, 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 you, you should read his blog articles, his, his articles about his journey. He raised money. He had to cut like 50, 75 people. It was for like
1: content creators.
2: Yeah, it's basically a payment processor platform for creators. Yeah, and it's an incredible story. He turned it into a profitable business, and he's still running it. And like he sends a distributions.
0: I thought right.
2: Yeah. And, and he takes this now he took it, he took it back. He realized like, this is not going to scale at the level that I thought he had like a coming to Jesus went away, brought the team down to like less than 10 people. And then now he's the type of angel investor that if you have on your, your team, he's legit. So like my point back to you, Stephen, is just like you can build so much credibility still. Even after failure. Can I not ask, to say you should fail.
1: <laughs> like are you comfortable asking uh, answering specific questions like dollar amount questions and stuff? Or is, is like, I mean whatever I know. Okay, so like my question one is like um when you get funded by an accelerator, you can bake in a founder's salary. What what would be mm-hmm. like a typical what's like an acceptable founder's salary? Um that, that they're like, okay, that's yeah, a good that's question. normal.
2: Yeah, look, the amount you're getting from an accelerator is normally somewhere between like 100000 to $500,000 tops, right? So like Techstars, for example. So just to share some of the story as well, I've been interviewing with Techstars. I've been deep in this process. I'm like five rounds in, and I should hear soon whether I, five I rounds. get it. Yeah, Damn. I should hear soon whether I'm in. And um, nothing's official yet, so I don't know, but it's been an incredible journey. But I would receive $120,000. $120,000 is not going to pay my salary. It's not going to pay, it's like, pay my a full-time salary. developer's
0: salary. Right.
2: So you need to still go on and raise a complete seed round. So let me ask you this. Uh, Techstars,
1: in that, in that example, is paying you out of the Techstars uh, budget. Yeah, they're basically a comp- VC. They're funds. so they So they're their own private equity firm. That's separate from investors that they would also, like, put you in front of.
2: Yeah, they are. The difference is that most VCs are like, here's the money. But they're like, here's the money. Here's the network, and here's an accelerator where we'll show you how to achieve product like, market how fit. How to like,
1: best showcase yourself in front of our network of That's investors. That's part of it,
2: but it's really a journey of let's go work hard as fuck to build your business for 13 weeks. Yeah, I mean, like, achieve product market fit as quickly as possible. When we
0: were talking about it, I think like, the most tangible effects you get from it is whatever niche your business is, they've probably seen a similar business come in, and you just go through the grinder for like two to three months. And the business model that Armand has came up with so far may not be the business model after those 10 to 13 weeks, which is phenomenal. Exactly. If you can get some domain expertise, some people have been through before. Maybe it's a company who just raised in your same area. It could be even a competitor that likely went through an accelerator. If you can learn some lessons from them, meet with the CEO, the entrepreneur that did it, you might, you know, angle your business five degrees to the left And over the course of seven to 10 years, that little, you know, angle that you made now could set you on a different trajectory. That's one. The second one is, you know, if you're the top of your class during that 13 week period, you know, VCs have their own funnels and where they get, you know, qualified companies from. It's probably qualified angels. Maybe some refer off there. So if the guy leading your tech stars group or your YC class says, hey, I got one for you, that intro I think sets it up for a whole different type of conversation oh, versus absolutely.
1: like as an investor myself, I, yeah. I look at that
2: and I say like, okay, you've been through. You're going uh, through the ringer. First of all, to qualify yeah. to get in, like for example, in in this cohort in San Diego, 12 companies are going to get in out, out, out how of many? I believe like five hundred thousand thousand applicants. No, over oh, like thousand applications. I think it'll be Jeez. a lot. They haven't given me the number, but like I think it's a lot. Yeah, Let's so, call it hundreds of applicants. So uh, like as an investor, established companies,
1: I, I'm immediately sort of compelled to think like you've been
2: through a filter process like exactly it's a credibility it's like um it's, it's like going to you're an employee that worked at Google or Microsoft yes. and now you're looking for a job or you went to Harvard or Stanford like it's always part of your bio yes so let me continue and let me answer your question so you have to go on to raise a seed round and then yeah I mean these days I don't know with inflation at what it is and living in a, a major city I don't know I think somewhere like in the 100,000 something range per year it's not a lot Like you're kind of, you're kind of like, you know, founder salary. It's like notoriously not a lot. You pay yourself. I think the answer is you pay yourself the minimum you need to, to, to get to the next stage and you get to the next stage and you keep building. It's not the same as like your own entity where you're reinvesting all the money back in the business and only taking a distribution every quarter or maybe every five years like, (laughs) like Nick, but, but, you know, you got to pay yourself something. It's minimal, but it's like, you're playing the long game. Yeah, yeah. So you like, want to go on to raise at least a million dollars. But there
0: are liquidation events along the way, like maybe not in your series B, but in your Series C. You'd be like, Yeah, listen, guys, uh typically you issue new shares for those investors, but you are like, listen, I've been at this four years. I'd like to buy a fucking house for me and my and this kids. This is where
1: you like um sell a percentage of your business for You might say, Real I would like dollars. to include
0: my existing shares yeah. in that raising, and I'm gonna take, you know. If you raise 20 million, I want 4 million for myself. Yeah. 16 million to go in the business. Those will be new shares. And there is liquidation amounts if you're on that, you know, that growth path, sort of like that unicorn required. growth path. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'll
2: give you guys a, final, a couple more stats and then we'll wrap this up. Median value to invested capital ratio, based just on the last funding round, not exit price. Um, YC, 5.8x, Techstars, 3.3x. Percentage of companies that go on to become unicorns, um, 500 Global, 1.5%, Mass Challenge, 1.8%, tech stars, 2.2%, YC, 5.4%. So one of the incredible things about Y Combinator is the number of unicorns that have come out of it. Yes. Just an incredible feat. But also all of these. I mean... Anything above a percent is pretty incredible. That that there's unicorns coming yeah. out of these. Yeah, I mean, I, and I some think, even have decacorns.
0: <laughs> I think you could explain the YC part. They're they're very Silicon Valley based, yeah. and so you might have seen the the run up in valuations in 2021, 2020, and maybe they were valued at that this round. But it's not a full exit at a billion dollar valuation. Totally. So maybe they seem a little uh, over indexed just because of the. That's exactly the why they're I put
2: in. that in there too. I noticed it was not based on on exit. And the final thing because i think this is most important to people anyone that's like looking to build a company like should i do this they did a deep um sort of surveying with founders like what actually were your takeaways from doing this so in order of like value that they received number one is introductions to advisors mentors and corporations yeah two is strength of the programs network Three is being able to immerse themselves in an environment that pushes them to think deeply about their product. Four is education on how to fundraise. Five is access to a fundraising database of venture capitalists. Six is warm connections to investors. Seven is introductions to customers. And eight is, um, oh, this isn't an eight, but they asked them like, what do you think this did for you in terms of exit probability? And the average response was a 90% increase probability. Answer. I
0: mean, those are very relationship-focused yes. benefits. So, like,
2: it's a, it's, it's if a, it's you a do mafia. go
0: on that route, you got to, like, go in it and, like, put your hand out and smile and just it's shake. It's mafia. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I think that's really what you're getting. You're part of a club. You're part of a mafia. And it's great. And then, finally, the NPS score that, in general, was given across all accelerators, like, as the a founder. N- the net promoter score. Glad, yes. Are you glad you did this? 48% gave a 10. 67% were promoters. So the total MPS score was forty-seven point six percent. Yeah, I mean, uh, for people
0: not Which in like product high. marketing, like you could you could look up Net Promoter Score, but that's a phenomenal. It's, it's, net, it's
2: like Net Promoter Score. If you have a company, you want to be above thirty. Yeah, like that's the goal. So yeah,
1: sounds like not a scam. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I think so. I think so. But uh, will they be here in ten years? I don't Wait, know.
0: So you and I work out of the same office. So if you do go in this, are you going to? Are you moving out? I don't know
2: how that
3: works. I, I, I do want to, I the want to Do you, yeah, do you have me. to physically leave?
2: Well, if you do the accelerator, you're in the accelerator definitely, like physically. After the accelerator, I'm not. I'm so not. But like, go
3: to San Francisco?
2: No, they're doing it in San Diego Oh for TechStars. stars. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. But like, so first you're, you would move out San at Diego least for program. three months. Yeah, I would move out. I'd, wow, that's I'd weird. Be a lack of hallway talk. Yeah. And Zinke.
0: Shit.
1: God, imagine. Uh, the people that you meet, like your peers in in this program, though, like all the That's other what I'm entrepreneurs, most excited like about. you're going to meet some awesome people starting awesome businesses. Most excited about that. I like I yeah. like our
0: dynamic. Like you have, you're on the venture capital route. I'm like bootstrap, self fund I just want to. I want distributions, right? I'm not. We're not trying to exit.
2: Oh, you want to actually make money? Got it. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. (laughs) But then, like, you two guys are investors. Like, you, you could like look at us, like, well, what's your fundamental value? I'm like on the other
2: side of the table. Yeah, Yeah, you
0: guys are on the other side of the table. It's a, it's a fun dynamic. No, it really
2: is like an interesting, (laughs) very four different human beings right here. Yeah. Um, you got anything money related,
3: uh, Stephen? You want to go on to? I just wanted to run a weird incident I had yesterday by you guys because I think. Maybe there's something there. So I was shopping around for some new car insurance and I couldn't like, I couldn't get any. And I was like, what the hell is going on here? And I, I talked to, you know, some brokers and eventually they referred me to this guy. He's like, Oh, this guy can help you out. So I, I call this guy. And so I've had an accident in the last year. Um, and my rates were kind of like crappy. So I'm like, ah, I wonder if I can get a better rate. <laughs> I think I
0: remember this. So you were like thinking about fucking. He was charts. trading. He was yeah. Trading it was. Al- no, it was
3: on my way to hang out with you guys. Unfortunately, but you were
1: trading your mind. I
3: remember. Yeah, I was, <laughs> I was, um, so, so I called this guy and he, I, he picked up the phone. He's like, Hey, Hey, Hey. And then immediately I'm aware that this conversation is going to be a little strange and everything. So I tell him like, yeah, yeah I'm in California. I'm listening to this. He's like, he's like, oh man oh it's gonna be probably not good i'm like all right well um cool can you help me out he's like i don't know man i'm like all right well you're an insurance broker so because
1: california because <laughs> because california well
3: he's like oh, he's like okay well it's like uh first question do you, have a, do you have any accents i'm like yeah i got an accent he's like oh you yeah. are
1: Fucked. This is the guy
0: selling. This is a guy just going. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's
3: just, so I'm like, is that persuasion? What is that? It's
0: <laughs> <laughs> just anchoring to like the yeah. highest price.
3: And he like asks me a couple more follow up questions and just keeps telling me how fucked I am. Basically, he's like, you're not getting. Ins-. I'm like, so I'm uh, and <laughs> I'm just like, yo, man, what's going on? Like, I aren't you a aren't you a broker? <laughs> or are you supposed to sell me insurance? And he just launches into this diatribe on California. And then eventually the U.S. dollar and gold. Like, so I, yeah. I went on this 15-minute like, journey on the phone with this guy. Um, he was talking about capitalism at one point. It was crazy. Still hadn't given me a quote at this point. Love this guy, by um, the way. <laughs> <laughs> so are you guys aware there's like, this insane insurance crisis in California I right mean- now?
0: I've no. heard about it in real estate in like Texas and Florida, but I haven't heard about it for cars. I've literally
3: never heard about this.
1: So,
0: apparently, you can't just go to Geico and get a quote. Like, no, so apparently, what,
3: what happened uh, as per this guy in between the F bombs, uh, he, he was basically like, so California passed this law. It's a very California law. I think they passed a regulation saying that uh, you cannot raise somebody's uh, premiums beyond a certain rate. Mm. And so. You know, students of basic economics uh, who the California legislature, <laughs> none of them have read, apparently, um, will know that when you when you do that, what happens is like uh, the the sort of supply of product just leaves the market. Yeah. So apparently all of these insurance companies have just been pulling out of the California market. And it's not just auto insurance. It's like homeowners insurance. Um hmm. And this guy was launching into some whole diatribe. Of, he, was, he was talking to me about, like, um, remember the Silicon Valley bank stuff and how there's this problem when the banks have bonds on the balance sheets and, like, you know, the rates go up and the price goes down. There and so, He was doing this, but, like, for insurance. He sounded like the Michael Burry of insurance. Yeah. Like he had a
1: whole... He sounds like a Bitcoiner, really. <laughs>
3: <laughs> like, he, like, I was... Yeah, no, actually, he, he told me he hated Bitcoin. We, we actually started talking about Bitcoin. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> of course, you can know. help yourself. Yeah no like why well, I was I was talking to this guy I'm like is this is this like a Michael Burry moment I'm having right here cuz he said one line he 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 was just like capitalism doesn't function without insurance <laughs> and I was just <laughs> like yeah that sounds like it could be correct and it just got me thinking like is there something happening here and then I pulled up a bunch of charts of like like MetLife and Progressive and I looked at them and they look really bad
0: So, I mean, are are you more worried about the insurance company's balance sheet or that capitalism won't function in California because they will literally leave the market? California is such a large
3: market. Like, they're worldwide, I think, like, like eighth largest insurance, like, something enormous, like, across everything. So what happens here has, like, crazy ripple effects. And then I don't know if you guys saw, we had, like, the – do you see Maui's having, like, insane fires right now? No, I didn't. But sad, yeah, like, like, like insane that. fire like, it's like
2: that people are evacuating.
3: Like a house that um, friends of mine stayed at for our buddy's wedding. They saw it like on the it, the clip of it. It was just totally inflamed, oh, just no. like rubble, like right
2: on the beach. How, mu- how, how much fire are we talking about? Really bad, like, like insanely a lot, right? bad, like
3: the whole island right now. Oh, my God. So it got yeah, me thinking th- like, it, yeah, is there is, is there something happening here with all of the insurance companies? we got commercial real estate. We've got people, and then there's people like me who are like, I I got quoted seven hundred dollars a month on a premium. Whoa, whoa, $700 seven hundred dollars a month. Wow, For what? Car insurance. What? Which is higher than what I'm paying right now by a lot. Yeah, I but know. I thought what I was paying right now was a lot, Dude, and apparently those I'm those just like kind $150 of. one hundred fifty dollars? Yeah, more. I want to like yeah. personally
1: insure you now. Like yeah, I <laughs> want to <think laughs> the other
3: side of that yeah, trade. I mean, I'm in. <laughs> nope. But like apparently like people can't get homeowners insurance, and it's like freezing up certain elements. Well, in of Florida, the, that's the definitely happening. That's yeah. A, there's a issue. thing happening in Florida as well, and I'm just like sometimes when these blow ups happen, right? There's like the the stage is sort of set there's like kindling in the in the fire pit and there's just some like match gets lit from somewhere that nobody knows of and then that um you know sets off some chain reaction and and blows up the the market in a crazy way i mean two things come to mind is like one
0: if people leave the market does that leave profit you know it becomes an imperfect market so like that incentivizes new players to come in like Maybe it'll work itself out over over well, they're time. They're not
3: coming in because they can't make money. They're like, we can't we can't make any money charging the prices you ma- with the price ceiling you mandated. So we're just not going to insure anybody.
0: So, what's the next step then? Is it like state funded insurance, or is it acquiescence by the legislators to be like, eh? Yeah, this this uh, one uh, one
3: would hope it's cap didn't the, work the out. Ladder,
0: um, but. Do you worry about any of these um, insurance companies' balance sheets blowing up? Because just like those regional banks happen, you know, insurance companies take your money, your premium, and they invest it over a long period of time, and they pool the risk together, and they hope to achieve a return on that, and then obviously have money left over as profit into what their risk outlay will be in the future. So they're investing that money, and maybe they also bought T-bills when interest rates were like 0 to 1% and now they're underwater on those treasuries. Like, Do you worry about that, or are you more worried about well, the my, market My friend dynamics? on the
3: phone is worried about that. Yeah, He's very worried he doesn't about that.
0: You just sound like your fucking friend. It's $700 a month. Jesus.
1: <laughs>
3: no,
0: he, but like, I
1: actually think he's onto something, because you're right. Like, The insurance companies make the same money that the banks do in the same method that banks do, and no one's talking about the insurance companies going under. But that
0: would be... And and I don't know the like does a government like if the, if an insurance company fails I think last one was like AIG, AIG that I remember
1: that's like too big to fail as well so like that gets bailed out recapitalized by tax pay- taxpayer money yeah of course I mean of course it does and it would
3: right yeah like if you pull up a chart of the S and P you can kind of see the Silicon Valley scare right we had this nuke and then obviously we just went up only if you pull up insurance stocks we had this really bad nuke. And we just have, we've just had like a retracement sort of into the gap of the nuke, but we're not making new highs and things look really gross on a bunch of them. Like I think like MetLife looks gross. Progressive looks gross. Uh, what is it? United National Health Care, whatever. They're what's, enormous what's, uh, are you uh, keen to any
0: like short selling percentage of any of these uh, insurance companies?
3: I'm just curious if any of the I was I I I just this just happened to me yesterday and it was like such a weird thing. And I, I started trying to do some research because I was curious is like anybody on Twitter talking about systemic risks yeah, from no one's talking insurance about insurance. I think and nobody I couldn't find Dalios anything. mentioned it in one interview. He yeah, said I'm somewhat worried about
0: the insurance companies that they could blow up. Let's say you have a massive hurricane season, yeah. they need liquidity. Yeah. Well these uh, held to maturity treasuries, they might need to cash in at it's 80 cents on the dollar, mm-hmm. not a good look for them. And you might have a potential insolvency
3: within an insurance company.
1: It would be a BTFP situation for them as well.
3: Yeah. Yeah. What, I, tri- what I tried to explain to my friend on the phone here was that ultimately, because he was like, the dollar is going to zero and like America is dead and everything. And I was like, no, no, no. I'm like, it's bad. But what they're going to do is they will just, they'll hit a crisis point and they'll just print everything and We'll sort of be okay. And then I kind of like nudged him around to like Bitcoin. And he, like, he started thinking about it. He thought about but, it a little but
0: bit. But is he listening to this podcast right now? Because if you didn't convert I him, should this have conversation is worth I
3: should have uh, shilled him on this podcast. Jesus. Yeah, I know. I know. But. Um,
0: All right. Well, I think something to keep an eye on. Like, especially those balance sheets of, insur-
1: definitely of insurance.
3: Definitely interesting. I hadn't even thought about it. Like yeah, I, I just wanted to plant a seed. Uh, do it, do anybody has any follow, thoughts? Some of interest, heard uh,
0: short sellers on Twitter they're they're just like these like i mean like marco is yeah that's one of them i mean they're just kind of like out of their minds they've got balls of steel but anyway when they get on a company and they're like something's up i mean they are ruthless in and track them down so i don't know maybe something we'll we'll play with the next week see if anyone's uh short selling hard on these insurance companies
2: i have a bone to pick you have a bone with all three of you oh god oh god As you you, lean back. (laughs) As you sip your wine, what do we do wrong? This past January, I sent all of you a text message asking you if you agree to the terms of this year's annual retreat. And you all blew it off. Eric responded promptly with, bro, I don't even know what I'm fucking doing this weekend. You're trying to plan something from 11 months from now. Check in later.
1: Yeah, I'm not a good planner.
2: Move me off completely. I don't even remember this. But okay. well, you're
1: giving me credit just for responding. Yeah.
2: I just want to acknowledge yeah. you, Eric, for the response. Yeah. You did say check back in. These guys didn't know what to do with it. Stephen hasn't only responded person... to
1: a message or email in, in years. Yeah.
2: I, I think Jason... <laughs> did you email me? Because
1: No, hole. I wouldn't ever... Man. Still waiting on no, funding but... for the podcast. In the next <laughs> <six> months, <bro.
2: laughs> Stephen, help. <laughs> no, so... Legit, it's funny because we were in the Discord. um, It was like a few days ago. And Tom Nam Nam was um, talking and asking questions about an annual retreat process. And it reminded me of this text message that I sent after doing last year's annual planning process. By yourself. And you know, by myself. (laughs) And you know what the conclusion, one of the things that I reached was plan important shit ahead of time, put it on the calendar, what gets scheduled gets done. The things that were the highlight of my year was like me sitting and doing that planning process ended up being like one of the things I was most grateful for, for that year. So I was like, okay, obviously, if this is such a high alpha move here, I need to do this way in advance. I need to pick a beautiful place. I need to get my friends back involved the way we used to do it. And my,
0: my closest friends, of course, they will be so
2: excited. we're like oh, so excited. oh,
3: this is the year end. Yes, like, Stephen he- year- oh. Yes. Oh, no. Jump now, in. That, now that we're on oh. this topic, I, I actually have a bone to pick back.
2: Okay. Bone back. <laughs> okay, bone back? There's no bone here. But yeah, no, there's a yeah, bone back. It's all muscle. Okay.
1: But,
2: uh, <laughs> <laughs> what do you got? <laughs> so here, like, so
1: it was probably like, Pre-COVID, during COVID, or whatever. First of all, it was
2: only half a bone with you, so go easy. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs>
1: here, here's, here's this mild bone. Okay. Like, uh, we went on a trip for New Year's to Mexico. Uh-huh, uh-huh. The only sort of, like, essence of, a, of an annual plan that I've ever received is from you. Okay. And on this trip to Mexico that we did with our significant others uh-huh. in Mexico. I'm nervous right now. I actually began an annual plan. I was like, "Hey, mm. hey!" So I'm I'm gonna start this on my own here, but I'm taking lessons from you. What do you think? And you were just like, "Eh." What? Wow. Yeah. It was, <laughs> an, eh. it was such an. It was such eh, an. What? I got other shit to do. Interesting. That, Wait, that was two years ago. It was two years ago in Mexico. Yeah. Well, I resurrected. Okay, so mm-hmm. it, I don't remember. This. But just during this time, I add
2: you. I add the annual. It was a such a. Eh okay no 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 no. i responded saying like the only person that i think is like jason's serious about it let's do it but i, was like, I think
1: you're so um regimented in yeah. your in your approach that like when when i did it with you uh-huh. like on a whim i was like hey so here's how i'm like approaching this annual review and it didn't include you because it was like my own thing mm. but i was like hey so <laughs> how do you, how no, would you approach it you exercise. were just like you were like yeah Whatever. Okay. That may have
2: been misinterpreted. But we, we've had I think. some
0: amazing retreats. We've done a few that have been. I would epic. love,
2: Eric. It Eric, was pre podcast by the, the way. record. Listen, I would love to do this with you. Because it's regimented you. under
1: your no. sort of guidelines now. Because
2: when I brought it to you, I time. no, no, no. There are no. That's what I'm trying to it was, communicate. Hey. No, there are no guidelines to how each person does it. Hey, personally, no, hold on. <laughs> now to get into it. Let's get into it. Okay. Everyone should do it their way the only part is that you come together the way i like to would like to do it is to come together and go to this cabin together so that when you're if i look over at eric or over at nick like or over at steven like and we're in the general day of celebration and gratitude like it's just a very loose theme eric that's why like the process you end up taking should be the process that works best for you but i think the only thing to agree on is like Day 1 is gratitude. Day 1 is like reliving this is what we the, in the year. Past. Yeah. And so if I look over at Nick and you're just like soaking up in gratitude in the hot tub and you're just like looking at your calendar, you're looking at your wins, like that's cool. I want to be able to look over and be like, "Fuck yeah, bro, you did it. You had a great year." And then the next day, say you do need a breakout session with someone in order to plan a goal of yours. You could pull us all over and do like a hot seat thing or you could That's the benefit of having people versus doing it alone which I've been doing it alone for years now. And I would love to get back into doing (laughs) it. I mean, Yeah. What we've done in the past
0: is that first is gratitude, all the good things that happen. Second day is like a list of questions you need to ask yourself. And, uh, Tom, nom, nom, I know you mentioned the discord, you know, Hey, I'm going to do this on my own. Do you guys have any outlines? And I went back and looked at some of the questions. So Mm. I'll list off some of the questions and maybe we continue with how we usually do the retreat. But, uh, I got some of these from Tim Ferriss. He says like when you're doing your review and thinking about what your goals are, like what are the 20% of activities that produce 80% of the positive emotions or outcomes and the opposite? That's a, you that's mean, an uh, obvious pareto. one. Yeah. The pareto. Azur,
2: eh? pareto. Yeah, 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 But like that
0: one actually was the most, the most helpful. Um, what's something you could spend a hundred, five hundred, 500 or a thousand dollars on to increase your happiness. Cause you might find like your happiness levels are go up pretty cheaply. Um, what are the craziest, oddest, and weirdest things I could do to, like, really blow up the boundaries of, like, what should I do this next year, or this next five years? I had some crazy ones. Uh, donate all my money, a fasting retreat, move to Thailand and fight, do a Muay Thai fight, hike the Pacific Crest Trail. I had some weird ones, right? Should and donate all my money? So one of the things... Listen, we're not criticizing. It's just a brainstorming <laughs> session. All right?
3: And for that reason, I'm out.
0: <laughs> Uh, become a full-time artist. I thought Nick was the one that doesn't want to help
3: people. Um, I want to help people. I want to give all the help. All right. Let
0: hey, me continue. It's a goal. The other questions are like, how do I 10x my, my income? How do I 10x my passive income? Um, how do I 10x my travel? Like, really try to like ask yeah. some uh, boundary-expanding so like questions. questions.
2: style. That's, yeah. that's really cool. But you also do something similar to what I do, which is like, you have your little spreadsheet you have your goals and you do some form of KPIs as well. Yeah, I've gotten looser about that as time gets on. And I realized it's because I don't like being this like I'm a stickler, right? So like and I'm and I'm very obsessive about details in my business and I'm very KPI driven in everything that I do. I don't know if I need to be so KPI driven with myself. And I've learned to kind of like take a bit more of a loose structure with that. Are you getting soft? I'm getting a little (laughs) soft on myself. (laughs) But getting soft on myself in measurables so that every day that I wake up and I think about my progress, I'm feeling good about my progress. That's the root of the reasoning for that. It's not that I'm taking my eye off uh, the goals and wanting them to be smaller. It's just that it's kind of another thing I picked up from Navalmanac is like... I realized it resonated with me and it was what I was doing, he put language to it. It was like, like measuring your sleep like a crazy person. Sometimes it doesn't feel good, like waking up with that shitty idea that like I got a 78 today really puts you in a funk for like it's the first information that you fed your mind that day. So I just think you have to be careful of being overly critical and quantitative toward yourself. You're a human being. You're not a machine. I mean, some of us aren't. Stephen, you can speak to that separately, but.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: Silence. But I, 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 I do agree with your point about, you know, the third part, having friends. So what we've done in the past is we've been done with four, bonus, four or five people and you're like, yeah. I have a question or a problem or a decision point, And you do like a hot, you know, uh, yeah. like a hot seat. And that person gets up in front of everyone and says, here's my issue. And then everyone, like, no devices, just 100% focus on, like, okay, feed me. I'm going to give you all my brain power that I have on this issue. Sometimes it's 30 minutes. Sometimes it's three hours. But, like, you, you'd be amazing to, what kind used of, to like. I
2: pay, like, $25,000 a year <laughs> to be part of freaking masterminds that would do this for you. You can do this with your friends. and it can, At least if you have smart friends. Or you can do this virtually with people. So I know a lot of people also, like would hear this and actually feel a little bad saying like but I don't have those types of people around me but that's the power of community that's the power of the internet that's the power of our discord community like I would actually say like people in our community that want to form a mastermind should and maybe mastermind is not the right word but like you can do a virtual annual like an annual review you can review. do this like review process with a few people and go really far with it but All right, I'm anyway dying. I'm still Let's waiting for a response the, my the, the response is still my exists. response is yes okay uh, good I wanted to rent a castle.
3: We could uh, look for twenty five thousand gone, dollars Stevens. each. We could have a really good dude.
2: I wanted to rent a <laughs> castle on a lake. Right, and all the castles are gone. Send me now. a calendar. Castles
3: sound yeah. better in theory than practice. You things. don't want your own wing. He wants central
0: plumbing and heating and yeah. Air I don't want to uh,
2: shoot down the. You don't want to shit down the chute. <laughs> that was shoot exactly what, yeah. I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to poop in the whole <laughs> thing.
3: That's that doesn't sound um, great.
2: But I like that. Is there anything to add? I mean, so, Eric, I'm curious. You were brainstorming a process. I don't remember poo-pooing at all on this process. But what what have you... I know that you're very intrigued by this idea, and I know you've done it to a degree. So, like, if you were doing it this year, what would it look like for you?
1: Yeah, I think... um as I as I like went through this process on my own because you weren't there uh, you <laughs> excused yourself from the process uh, it was uh, it was um, sort of like outcome oriented you know it's like what what outcomes do I want to sort of create for myself you know business wise uh, relationship wise health wise and it was like okay so you you sort of like design these outcomes these goals that you lay them out and then uh, just sort of tangibly saying, like, well, how do, I, how do I get there? What are, the what are the, like, the, the action items that I take to get there? I guess goal setting is, is like, a way to describe that. But, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I, I haven't done it to the extent that you guys have. So Would um, you say
2: it's been beneficial, though, in any degree, like, to have some sort of compass? Of course. I don't know if it's an of course, though, for a lot of people. I think some people could take, you know, devil's advocate this and say and argue that like surrender and show up and don't be so achievement oriented. Like, do you think that there's power to being? I think there's just like a, I think
1: there's a power to like how you approach it. Like you can either do it once a year on this like January 1st, or you can like sort of do it as like a check-in on a more sort of like impermanent basis where you're like on a weekly or whatever, where you kind of like, just recalibrate yourself or something and and you know i I don't know exactly where i land on the spectrum of like what my frequency is optimized but like i think it obviously helps you
2: to think about it well i i just watched the arnold documentary i wanted to mention this to you guys has any of you seen it
0: yeah i saw like i don't know a handful of episodes i don't know if i've seen all of it but it's it's pretty epic there's
2: there's there's um Three. It's like bodybuilding.
1: So pumping iron was. Oh, so a, maybe I saw the whole thing then. Was pumping it's, iron like not a part of it? Is like a
2: that's like it's its he, own thing. He talks about pumping iron you during this documentary. Like, the, the, like from the '80s that, or whatever. Yeah. So pumping iron's like a mention in the bodybuilding first episode because he has three phases to his life essentially, mm. like bodybuilding, movies, Hollywood, and politics governance. Yeah. Yeah. So like, no pumping iron was like a significant part of the story in the first one. It was, but just a piece. So did you see all three? Nick? I think I did then. Okay. I, I, I thought there were more, but yeah. Yeah. I no, saw so all it's three. just three. Um, I watched it, and it's directly tied into what we're talking about. Like, that's why I think it's, like, so perfect to, to think about. It's like, I know a lot of people got on Arnold's ass for apparently saying, like, um, screw your freedom during COVID times, and, like, all of a sudden... Every great thing this man has done is like down the fucking drain because he said he said something political about it was, the vaccine. It was a pretty trash tier comment to be fair. I get it. <laughs> I get it. But like Arnold should be untouchable. <laughs> like and also that aside, that aside, like a lot of people tried to say the right thing and felt social pressure. And especially him as a politician, I can understand he had to have a position. And, like, this was the greatest fucking tragedy ever. And everyone got it wrong. I think everyone got it wrong, and we're all going to look back at COVID and be like, we I all got it, it wrong. wrong. Well, <laughs> to a certain degree, right? All the information is incomplete. We don't know. I didn't get
3: everything things. right. I was right. largely correct on a lot of stuff that I took a lot of shit for in the early days. And I agree with that. I think I we all were. The first notes. ever
2: episode of... Uh, of um, Flow. Flow was Nick and I talking about it during the first week of COVID, and we got it very right. But still, my point is like, he said some things. The deeper thing here is that this man, his ability to manifest the life that he has, made me think so deeply about how a couple things came up for me. Every great thing that I have accomplished in my life, and this isn't for everyone, but it's been true for me. Um, and I'm not trying to list these things off as a way of bragging, but more as a way of like reaffirming to myself and to each other, like this really has been true for me. Like back in the day, getting, a, getting into San Diego State for me was like a, a manifestation. Um, getting a job at Google was something that I had an insane vision for. You know, becoming a solopreneur, um, having, getting on the cover of a magazine, for, for whatever reason at that time in a vanity way, was a huge thing for me. I always dreamed about it. I wanted to know what it would feel like. And then I got on the cover of like a very big one with Founder. Like all these, starting a tech company, like all these things. And over time, they've progressed in different ways. But I've realized in so many ways, like I've moved away from this idea of manifesting your reality and having this like huge vision for yourself is like, it's almost like I dismissed it as luck And even though in the moment I felt the synchronicity and the energy knowing that, like, no, I truly manifested this. And it's because of my obsessive vision with how this reality should look and feel. And I got it. And then sometimes you get there and you're like, oh, maybe maybe it just happened. Maybe I got lucky. And you move on. And you dismiss the power of, like, everything that you worked so hard to create. So what this movie, what this series, like, reaffirmed for me was two things. One, it's real. Like, don't dismiss it. It's not just like this airy-fairy secret. It's something deep that even one of the greatest, most famous people in the world has utilized to get everything they ever wanted. And number two, am I thinking big enough? What am I doing here? Yeah, like, what do you actually really want to manifest? came from nowhere, a, a village in Austria on a lake, won seven Mr. Olympias. 20 something titles, world titles. Became a successful entrepreneur. Became a a real estate mogul. Like (laughs) became a successful entrepreneur. Took over Hollywood when and you'll watch this documentary and be like, the whole world was against him. It was not fit for a six foot two fucking Mr. Olympia. With an accent. With an accent. It's like like, it's once you once you accept
1: the premise of manifestation, then it's then you go to that next step of like well, am I manifesting enough? Like, am, am I, totally. like, am I thing big enough? Like, totally. if I can manifest anything, what would I actually want to, yeah. to
2: build my life around? And most people don't shoot for the impossible. Most people shoot for mediocrity. So, like, the playing field of, like, who you're competing with when you shoot for these impossible things is so actually small. So, it just made me think so much about, like... Yes, there are obstacles. Yes, some things are very difficult to do, but am I actually thinking big enough about the things I want to accomplish? Because what else is there? Like this is life. You have your family, you have your friends, and you have your career and your health and some things you need to do along the way. And like, you might as well do really fun shit along the way like Arnold did. So I don't know, I'm, I'm like sitting with that a lot lately.
0: I mean, you're making me question my uh, Q3 uh, goals because I, I do them quarterly. And uh, they're kind of incremental because I do them quarterly, but maybe sometimes it's better to like.
1: But don't you have the, the sort of pie in the sky one as yeah. well?
0: Yeah. And like, I don't know, maybe I'm on my way to progressing them. And so they don't feel like pie in the sky. They feel like I can I can reach them like they're they're close. I just need to make these incremental gains every quarter, every year, and they will come true. And I don't know, maybe. Um, yeah, maybe it's time to revisit those like pie in the sky ones. I think so. Um, we did a goal setting. I think we did a goal setting episode. I looked it up. It looks like episode 21 on like setting goals and, and doing that. But yeah, I mean, he's like a perfect example. Like if you don't want to read about what Armand's talking about, but you just want to see it in action, that documentary does a good job of like how intensely focused he was on something it's and crazy. brought it to life. And I, I actually don't think it's like woo-woo. I think it, it's, it's real in the sense that you prime your brain For this thing you need and the hint of a distant conversation that can get you closer your brain focuses on like i need to talk to that person precisely
2: yeah and And the world conspires for you because you've put that energy out energy is real if i tell you this is what i'm up to dude you're going to connect the dots for me somehow like it's going to happen you're going to introduce me to the right person at the right time like It just works that way. The universe conspires in your favor. I completely agree. You have to put it out into the world. Like, this is what I'm up to. Um, Synchronicity that occurred. I thought about this. I was preparing for the episode in that way, thinking about this is important. I hope this comes up. And then I was on YouTube, and Tim Ferriss posted this quote 99% of people in the world are convinced they're incapable of achieving great things, so they aim for the mediocre. The level of competition is thus fiercest for realistic goals, paradoxically making them the most time and energy consuming. If you are insecure, guess what? The rest of the world is too. So do not overestimate the competition and underestimate yourself. You are better than you think. Unreasonable unrealistic goals are easier to achieve for yet another reason. Having an unusually large goal is an adrenaline infusion. That provides the endurance to overcome the inevitable trials and tribulations that go along with any goal. So like in other words, it's like if you're really thinking about something fucking crazy, that is also the fuel that will help you overcome every mountain and hill along the way. Realistic goals, goals restricted to the average ambition level, are uninspiring and will only fuel you through the first or second problem at which you throw in the towel. So you actually, it's not woo-woo as is saying you fail at the mediocre all the time in your everyday life because you don't have enough fuel. Like it's just not important enough. If the potential payoff is mediocre or average, so is your effort. So the fishing is best where the fewest go. There's Uh, a little more about it. Just
0: reminds me how I got my girlfriend. I feel like uh, I literally heard
1: your voice as you were talking about that story with your girlfriend. Wait, is that I mean some
0: that's exactly what I. Alpha? Well, I was like, I saw her, you know, to me, I was like, this is the hottest girl here. And I was like, well, I, you know, there's probably not a lot of guys going to go talk to her. So fuck it. Like, you know, you actually have a higher probability of like, you know, go, it, having a conversation or, you know, some kind of continuing relationship with the hottest girl or hottest guy at the it's bar so because true. the competition is yeah the 10s don't the get weakest. approached no it's too, too intimidating yeah yeah, yeah. sorry anyway. please clip this
2: for nick's girlfriend by the way <laughs> yeah it was,
0: that's good. how i'm batting out of my league
2: <laughs> yeah it's a real thing it's a real thing it, it, it totally exists by the way in that in that world of like relationships as well so yeah yeah i don't know it inspired the hell out of me i hope you guys watch it
1: is that on netflix where do you find
2: yeah. uh, arnold netflix what do you think of Arnold Steven? Does he inspire you? <laughs> <laughs> can I get one
0: Arnold impersonation before we wrap no, up the you episode? I can't
2: force it. It's just uh it depends it's on what Steven says.
3: Spontaneous? Yeah. God damn it. I, I like
2: Arnold. I I am very
3: capable of holding two opposing thoughts in my head at the same time. Yeah. Like I can like most of what a person has done with his life and still think like what somebody did is also fuck stupid, you know? Like yeah, it's, you can it's fine. you can
2: you can uh yeah, yeah. I mean, isn't that true? You can separate the artist from the. Isn't personnel? that true of every person on earth? Like we've I mean, all, all of us, done right?
1: stupid shit in our I mean, lives yeah. or said something stupid. Like yeah, he's just totally. under a microscope. You
2: don't bury us for something stupid we said once. Totally, but that that's so like, that's just so like society in the last five years. Like oh, you said one thing I don't like. I'm done with you forever. Yeah, come on. He's a G. Give the guy a break.
3: Yeah, I have a high stupidity tolerance. Okay, it's good. Do you have a
2: high adulterer
0: con- <laughs> like standard? Because I think he was in that group. The one thing I do, I will note <laughs> that he uh, he, owned, he, owned it. he owned all of his mistakes. There was no like, no, there
2: wasn't like one iota of cop out. But he was such like, an honest person. Like, he's never hid from, well, he had secrets. <laughs> he had many secrets. He had a child's secret. Yeah. Um, but what I mean is that he's always been honest, like, he's always been direct in his approach to business, to Hollywood, to politics, you know, he famously like was very right in your face, like in Sacramento as, as the governor. So yeah. Anyway, I think it was inspiring and I would be very curious what our community and the audience out there thinks leads to success for them. And like what things have been inspiring for them in terms of, how they have achieved and or manifested the success that they've had. And I would ask you out there to just sit down and even just take a few minutes and reflect of all the things that I have achieved, what allowed me to get to this point? Was it pure luck? Was there synchronicity? Am I truly self-made? Or did it require coordination, collaboration, belief, vision? And if you can reverse engineer that, try to create a formula that works for you and repeat it. Because what else is life other than just having some fun along the and way I, and I
1: think like achieving things. Where my mind goes, it's like if you believe that this stuff is valuable, like our conversations amongst ourselves, is there something that, that we can sort of like encourage within our community that that can like help people manifest within our alfalfa Alpha group mm. and like you know, help promote that manifestation amongst each other. Like maybe it's a voice chat or something once a week, or I don't know. I'm I'm asking you guys now, but like I great question. I man. do believe there's power here, and I think we get a lot of like-minded individuals that would probably be interested in this kind of thing. Yeah, I love it. I mean, that's perfect. Perfectly said. I
0: love cool.
3: it. Did you write your outro this
2: week? That was it right there. That was the outro. That's what Eric said. All right, cool. I loved it.
3: One um, more of a snappy slogan, but we'll go with that for now, I guess.
2: Oh, wait, outro? We have an outro now? What you, outro? you said you wanted an outro. Steven, you're making stuff up. I love <laughs> you guys. Um, we love you. Thank you for being here, especially uh, those of you that are here live on YouTube. Reminder, if you're not live, to join us at 5 p.m. on Wednesdays. Um, all links at alfalfapod.com. Make sure you like the video and subscribe on all channels. Send a recent episode to a friend. Hop in our Discord. Ask us questions. Let's continue the conversation. Love you guys. Peace. Bye, everybody. Bye.